your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kachuk thinks it's a real good fit for uh, Kevin Hayes here in St. Louis, thinks he's going to have a good year. So the numbers that you rattled off, that start he had in Philadelphia before things went sour last year, the Blues would love that. And they're getting them, as we know, at that 50% discount rate. This is what Doug Armstrong kind of envisioned during the retool, that he's going to bring in a couple guys who have that type of potential at half the cost. Kevin Hayes is one of those guys and the Blues would love that production. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio you just heard was Jeremy Rutherford on the show a little while ago. Alex, you have been highly, highly impressed with what you've seen so far from the Blues offseason edition in Kevin Hayes. Now, for people that don't remember that audio, we talked about the clip where uh, JR mentioned the first 53 games from last year. Alex, in that stretch, Kevin Hayes had 17 goals, 30 assists. He was a 47 point in 53 game player. That is almost a point per game producer. And then the last half of the season, things went awry. It didn't go well for him. Him and Torts didn't see eye to eye. I don't hold that against Kevin Hayes uh, personally. I don't think many in the NHL would. And so a lot of what the hopes are for this Blues team in 2023 are being put on the shoulders of their big offseason addition in Kevin Hayes. He's got the size. He's got the ability to distribute. He might have Jakub Vrana on one of his wings, which is a great natural-born goal scorer. Alex, I'm excited about Kevin Hayes. Now, when you come into this show in the morning and you say, hey, BK, I think that the Blues have the second coming of a Hall of Fame centerman. I said to myself, all right, Alex, I'll let you cook, man. Why do you think Kevin Hayes is going to be a Hall of Famer and a Blue Note? This is what the show has become now. Just putting words in other people's mouths My and then making them look like an idiot. It, well, mine could drop, but I don't have seven teeth because of the problem. I mean, it problem, was like so. Wayne Gretzky and then Kevin Hayes. And I was like, dude, come on. Like, they had Brett Hall at one point inside. I, I went, and when BK, like, yeah, when BK this started guy's to push back. forget about Hall. I did say we got yeah. a new Hall and Oates. Yeah. Hayes B- and Verona, Hall and Oates. When BK started to push back, I went, hold up. Let him cook. <laughs> yep. Let me cook. Look, I did not say that, but what I did say was Kevin Hayes is going to be better than what Ryan O'Reilly was last season for the Blues. <gasps> Ryan O'Reilly? How dare you? Look, I, that man won a damn cup. I, he did. But that was four years ago. That wasn't last year. And I never said Kevin Hayes is going to be better than Ryan O'Reilly. And look, I, I, it's unfair to put comps on him like this, but you look at replacing players that you had last year, and that's really how this team becomes a playoff team. You lose certain players that you had high expectations for, and you pl- replace them with the guys you have now. You could do it with Vladdy, with having Yakub Verana for a full season. You could do it with Barbashev, whomever you want to put into that 
spot. Maybe it is Oscar Sundquist. Maybe it's another player who's getting an, a higher role. Maybe it's Kapanen. Yeah. But for me, losing Ryan O'Reilly was massive for this team. But getting Kevin Hayes is an added benefit for the Blues. Because what Ryan O'Reilly was last year was somebody who was trying to do so much and really could never capture the magic that he had with David Perron. 12 goals and 7 assists in 40 games was a minus 24. Defensively, he had a rough go about it, but frankly for him, he was playing with Josh Levo on the top line. So it's not an easy thing to go about. To be fair, he was playing with Josh Levo because that's the only player that he could figure out how to get him going. Absolutely. There was a certain way to play, and that's how this works. What I love about Kevin Hayes, and I'm telling you guys, what, it was the first game of the preseason. It was Columbus. <laughs> Look at who they played, Ferrario. I get it. But Kevin Hayes solely was responsible for multiple plays that were impressive to me. One, he broke up a play after a turnover by his line mate on the other side of the ice. Back check. Back check. And I mean, Kevin Hayes is a big dude. It's not like he's the fastest dude out there, but back check broke that play up. I think it was 46% from the faceoff dot. Not what Ryan O'Reilly was when he's like 56%. But I mean, Kevin Hayes is a career like 45% faceoff guy. But what he did that was most impressive to me, and Joey mentioned on the pregame with me, Kevin Hayes plays so much like Pat Maroon in terms of puck possession to where when it's on his stick, you can't get it away from him. He single-handedly drove an offensive zone time that was north of 90 seconds. It was him, Verana, and Blay that kept the puck in the offensive zone. They came away with three shots on that shift, and then while they held on to the puck in the offensive zone, they got three new bodies onto the ice. Now, they didn't score in that circumstance, but Kevin Hayes, to me, provides the depth down the middle that you didn't have last year. Thomas is your number one. Shen's going to be your number two, but welcome to having three legit centermen that could be 15 to 20 goal scorers for you. So I've heard a lot of talk this offseason about size and heaviness and they're getting back to physicality, BK. I don't buy any of it. I really don't. I think they are bigger. You didn't watch your boy Nick Ritchie get into a fight and then get tossed because his jersey wasn't We'll attached. get to him here in a minute. I'm not buying the notion that this team is suddenly going to go out there with this brute force and physicality that's going to overwhelm its opposition. I don't know that that's Kevin Hayes' game, honestly. I think Kevin Hayes is skilled. Mm -hmm. He's a big dude, and that reach will help him, like on that play that you mentioned from last night, where he was back-checking, and he's able to get his stick in the right spot, and he helps to break up a potential breakaway goal going the other direction. That's important. You need that. But what he really does is he brings the ability to put up points and you need to be able to outscore your issues that are behind you defensively going into this year. Alex, I wrote down yesterday what I think the players are that are basically the one for one replacements of who held that spot at this point last year. Okay, all right. Let's see which ones you get wrong. You just mentioned Kevin Hayes has the potential to be better this year than what Ryan O'Reilly was for the Blues last year. That sounds crazy. I actually agree with you. Uh, Yeah, I don't think Ryan O'Reilly was very good for the Blues last year, and we were unwilling to say it early on because it's Ryan O'Reilly and this is the captain and this is a guy that's taking everything on his shoulders, won a Stanley Cup, won the Conn Smythe, like everything that you can put on Ryan O'Reilly's name, it doesn't take away from any of that. That all still applies. But last year he wasn't very good. It's okay. It happens. Guys end up going in the aging curve and then it, it went awry for him. Kasperi Kapanen, I think, is your replacement for Ivan Barbashev. That one I don't think. You're going to get better production I think you can get similar production, though, to what you had with Barbashev last year. I don't think you're going to fall off a cliff in that regard. 
I think Verona is going to be flat out a better hockey player for the Blues than what Vladimir Tarasenko was for you last year. I think that's your direct one-for-one replacement there. Yeah, it's going to be a liability defensively, but we'll get to this later today. I think Verona can score 40 goals for the Blues this year, and I don't think that's crazy. Welcome to the club. Blay is your replacement for Nathan Walker, who was in the lineup on opening night last night or last year. And then Sonny is your Nolachari replacement. And I think at worst, those are a push. And then also remember, you played a lot of Josh Levo and Tyler Pitlick and Logan Brown. I forgot about Pitlick. You're going to have Nick Ritchie. You're going to have all of Alexi Toropchenko, who was in and out of the lineup last season. And you're going to have Jake Neighbors. I'm not telling you everything is hunky-dory. It's all rainbows and butterflies here in St. Louis with the Blues. They absolutely could miss the playoffs this year. A hundred percent could miss the playoffs this year. But Kevin Hayes, one of the first things that has to happen, he has to outperform what you got last year from Ryan O'Reilly. There's a bunch of other stuff that has to go right. Got to get Verona to be the player that he was before all of the off-ice stuff. You got to get Thomas and Cairo to take that next step. You need your defensive core to be able to get back to where they were two years ago and not what they were last year. But I think your piece on Kevin Hayes is the single most important piece because it has to be the starting point. You had a very bad year up the middle last season. Kevin Hayes has a chance to be able to change that. I, I When I watched Kevin Hayes last night, and again, it was one game, but watching him with Verona and Blay, that one game to me solidified that's going to be your line on opening night. Just the, Berube likes to go off of pairs, and I don't know who the third guy on that line is going to be, but the pair is absolutely Hayes and Verona. I mean, Verona scored the goal off of the faceoff last night. It didn't, didn't get the assist, but Hayes won that faceoff, and Verona picked up the puck and took it to the net and scored. Hayes possesses the puck. I'm telling you, when the, when it is on his stick, you'll see once th- there are more games that are able for people to see, unless you're at Enterprise Center, because I know it's just streaming. He is very difficult to take the puck off of his stick. I mean, we're talking about a guy that when he's in the offensive zone, he's able to circle around. You mentioned the reach. You got a guy at six foot six. Now, all of this comes down to him being reliable in the defensive zone, but also take into consideration. Ryan O'Reilly was playing like 19 minutes a night last year for this Blues team. Kevin Hayes might see 16 minutes a night on average, maybe 17. That's a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because now you've got three fresh bodies to roll out there to have three deep lines of scoring. And I think the fact that Hayes can do this, the fact that you're looking to Verona to be a goal scorer and Kapanen placing your top nine, it gives you depth of scoring that you did not have last year. Last year, you had one line that scored and everybody else was non-existent for this Blues team. So the other thing that I wanted to get to today, Alex, because as we continue to watch this team in the preseason, I continue to wonder what the role is for Jake Neighbors. Because it sure seems like they've got their mindset on Sammy Blay being a third-line player. And I'm not telling them they shouldn't. I get it. Finished the season really well. Had a great summer with uh, Team Canada. Comes into camp. Appears to be in a good spot. He seems to have some chemistry with the line that he's working with right now. So, cool. Put him on that third line. That drops Jake Neighbors to the fourth line. But Nick Ritchie's here now. And Nick Ritchie got in a fight last night. Looks to be driving some of the offense. I heard over the weekend he wasn't super impressive in the game that they played in Wichita. Didn't see it with my own eyes, but that was kind of the report that came back. And then last night, I thought Nick Ritchie was really solid. Now, probably should strap on your uh, your fight straps. That way your jersey doesn't get pulled over your head and you it have to help. leave the game. But, you know, that's something we'll get taken care of <laughs> down the road. <laughs> if Nick one. Ritchie <laughs> makes this team, Alex... And you have Richie and Torpchenko as your two fourth line wingers. I think the guy that that directly impacts the most is Jake Neighbors. Because if I am in Doug Armstrong's shoes, Neighbors is 
He doesn't have to go through waivers. He can immediately go to the AHL if they wanted to send him down. I'm not having that guy as my 13th forward. There's no value in that. I would rather have him down as my top line winger in the AHL to start out the season while I've got proven NHL players on that fourth line that are playing exactly the style that I want them to. So for me, I think the real competition here, the rest of camp, is Jake Neighbors versus Nick Ritchie for one of those fourth line winger spots. Yeah, I mean, the way I view this is the Blues are going to go 13 forwards and eight defensemen. It's what they typically always do unless they surprise all of us and go 14-7. But if you're going 13-8, 12 guys are accounted for. And the 13th comes down to... Jake Neighbors or Nick Ritchie. Now, in a certain situation, like the way I viewed it, Ritchie, Sonny, and Toropchenko is an ideal fourth line for Craig Berube. Yep. So as much as I do believe like it's Jake Neighbors versus Nick Ritchie to make this team, I think the competition is actually Jake Neighbors or Sammy Blay. Who makes more sense playing on that line with Kevin Hayes? Because if Jake Neighbors doesn't fit on that line, I can absolutely see a scenario where they look at it and say, look, Jake, we love you and the way that you play, but you're not a fourth line winger for us. You're a top nine winger for us. And frankly, it's going to be tough for you to crack that playing time. So let's go back to the AHL and you'll play with Bolduke and Dean. Now, I would imagine Jake Neighbors is going to be playing in the next few games. And Jake Neighbors is going to have a little bit of uh, motivation going into this. Ton. But if, if you're the Blues, I go back to the comment that Doug Armstrong had in the offseason when he was talking about taking care of these young players. And he said, we're going to put them in the water. And if it looks like they're struggling, we're going to pick them up and we're going to put them into a different pool of water to see if they can have success Throw there. Throw them into the deep end. If they start to swink, we're going to save them and we're going to go put them into the kiddie pool. Exactly. And that's what you're swink. doing in this. Huh? Swink. That's what you said. Swink. What is that? You said swink. I think yeah, you meant that. to say sink and it came out swim yeah. sink. And look, yeah. don't don't bash on my guy over here. Oh, He's okay. working. He's cooking. Oh, I was going to let him cook. And then like yeah. I saw it was like on fire. And then you saw him swinking and you're yeah. like, I better save him. Here. We're swinking. <laughs> <laughs> We're swinking. We're swinking. Anyway, what benefits you more long term? A 21-year-old Jake Neighbors who's getting top playing time in the minors and having a Nikita Alexandrov or a Mackenzie McEachern or a Nathan Walker as that 13th forward? or putting Jake Neighbors on the roster and having him be the 13th forward or playing on the fourth line. I personally believe if you have the upside of Jake Neighbors and expecting 20 goals from him, if he doesn't crack the top nine, he's going to be in the minors. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That's just the growth process that you're going through with this retool. Time to swink or sim. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to some NFL quick hitters. More on the Blues coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. We'll discuss Jakub Verana and what his role is going to be for this team. You guys can get involved in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can always watch us as well on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. But coming up next... Miles Michaelis deserves a little bit of praise for one thing, one thing only, Alex. I'll tell you what that is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I mean, it's a maybe one number that I can get that I can maybe hang my hat on at the end of a, you know, what I consider a a pretty rough year for myself. So if I could somehow squeak out uh, 200 innings, you know, I think it says a lot about, um, you know, just uh, kind of like a, a, a full body of work. Um, you know, that might be one number that you could look at at the end of a season that's that's not bad. So I'll, I'll try to get there. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Miles Michaelis last night after his outing, which went really well for Michaelis, talking about why he wants to get to 200 innings this season. Alex, yesterday the Cardinals decided to move his start up a day for him to be able to start one more time on Sunday, the final game of the season, in hopes that he can get to 200 innings. He's at 194 right now. Alex, I think there are plenty of reasons to be critical of Miles Michaelis's performance this year. It hasn't been overly impressive, especially in the second half of the year. He has one of the lowest strikeout rates among qualified pitchers in Major League Baseball, and he is a guy that just has failed to miss bats in a league and in a season in which it has become more valuable than ever to miss bats because of the changing rules that we have seen implemented into the game this season. When I look at what he's done, though, since joining the Cardinals back in 2018, the guy has been remarkably consistent. We talk about the value of having a player like Aaron Nola at the front of your rotation. Michaelis, while he does not have the swing and miss stuff, and he may not have the same quality as what you've seen from a guy like Nola, he does have the overall workload of guys like that. He's hoping to get to 200 innings. And the only other pitchers in Major League Baseball that can get there this year in the National League are Logan Webb, Zach Gallen, Mitch Keller, and Aaron Nola. He's one of five pitchers that have an opportunity this year to get to 200 innings. That's meaningful. When you look at what he's done in terms of just going out there and making his starts every fifth days, guys, since the end of the 20 or since he came off of the IL in 2021, he has not hit the IL a single time. Not a single time, not not one stint on the injured list since his return from Tommy John in 2021. It's been pretty damn impressive, his avail- availability in that stretch of time. I know that the effectiveness this year has not been there, but what you saw yesterday and his ability to go out there every fifth day, I do think that has value to the Cardinals both this year and beyond. To me, it's no coincidence that there was the final year of Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis earned that two-year contract extension. And I was the one that was clamoring for Jordan Montgomery in the offseason. But you lose somebody who, at his best, was always giving you 200-plus innings to keep somebody who, at his best, provides you 200-plus innings. And that's Miles Michaelis. Here's the inconsistency part with Miles. Is last year the miles where I'm getting or is this year the miles that I'm getting? And I think that's the conundrum the Cardinals are in because last year you could make the argument that that was legit a number two starting pitcher for you in your rotation. And you're looking at this as saying, let's go get a number one and low level number three and we're having a great offseason. This year he's been at best a number three. And now you're wondering, how do we go about this? To me, I would look more towards this season and say, this is Miles Michaelis, 200 innings. He's going to have some bad starts, but you know every single night he's going to give you six or seven innings and at least keep you in the game. But I still approach this offseason with the one and two. And at best, if Miles Michaelis goes back to what last year was, then you've got another guy who could be a number two and your rotation's in a better position here. But The one thing we've all complained about all season long is this pitching staff. The rotation is inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, Other than Miles Michaelis. I would say he's a solid three or four, and that's how you should treat him going into next season. But the hard part is last year and then 2018, you see the signs of it, and you're like, damn, this is what Miles Michaelis actually is. I, I don't think he can be that without the shift, and I think that's why you could see those kind of numbers. Now, I will say this, too, and it goes to the conversation we had about Snell yesterday. Of, you know, someone said, well, you can't pay Blake Snell because he's probably never going to be the guy he's been this year again. I would operate under the same assumption of Michaelis, 
prepare for him to be a three and don't expect him to be a two. And if he ends up being a two, 100%. well, the more the merrier. Then you have two number twos in your rotation because you're signing one of them. But I, I think because Michaelis is a guy that, to your point, can be consistent with innings and is potentially going to reach the 200 inning threshold for the third time in his career, that's a guy that you can say, okay, we know we've got an innings eater. Maybe we can go with someone like a Blake Snell or a Yamamoto who's not going to eat up as much innings. Maybe instead of looking for an Aaron Nola as our number one, quote-unquote, who's going to cover 200 innings, we already have that 200-inning guy. Let's go get someone that may not may be more effective and throws less innings, and that's what I think is so important about Michaels being able to get to that 200-inning threshold. It allows you to go more for swing and miss and less innings from your number one because you got an innings eater in the middle of the rotation. I was listening to a podcast yesterday talking about something similar to this, T-Bone, and they were, they were breaking down the National League Cy Young candidates, and one of the guys that's in that conversation is Logan Webb, the starting pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, and one of the guys was making the argument for him and basically saying, like, hey, listen, I know the Giants have not been a particularly good team this year, but they're still in the wild card race technically at this point. And the only reason why that is possible is because of Logan Webb giving them innings. Like you look at the way that the San Diego Padres rotation operates versus the Giants rotation. The Giants rotation basically operates with Logan Webb as the fulcrum. He is the pivot point. If he doesn't give them innings, they're screwed for the next four days because their bullpen can't hold up. They don't have other starters that give them, get deep into games. And so he gives them the ability to go with openers on other days. He gives them the ability to have a number five starter that gives them four. And then they cover the back end of that game uh, with some of their relievers, giving them an extended look in that game. Michaelis gives you that. He does give you the ability to go out there and whether it's Yamamoto, who maybe is not going to get deeper into games here while he's in St. Louis or because he was on a six man rotation uh, in Japan. You don't want him to get as deep into games to keep the innings down a little bit once he gets over uh, to Major League Baseball. Or maybe it is a Blake Snell, whoever your guy is that you're looking at and saying they got swing and miss stuff, but they don't get quite as deep into games. I think you're right, T-Bone, that Michaelis allows you to maybe get more in on those players than you otherwise would be able to. I think we have gone so far, and trust me, as a numbers guy, I am I believe in this trend, but I think sometimes you can go a little bit too far in the direction of swing and miss, five and dive, there's no value in the innings. There is value in a guy that can just eat a bleep ton of innings over the course of the season. The thing that you got to do, though, is balance that with what your rotation is going to be in the playoffs. And that's why I would go into the next season with Miles Michaelis as my number three starter. And then my goal would be that I am such a good team that by the trade deadline, I can go acquire a guy that slots in ahead of Miles Michaelis in my rotation. So Michaelis is getting one start in every round of the postseason. That's it. One start as my number four starter next year yeah and i mean best case scenario is miles michaelis pitches next year like he did last year and you are talking about a dude who you're pretending is number three you went after one and two and he's pitching like a number two and i know we're getting pushback of me saying that michaelis last year was a two he guys, was no guys, last year michaelis was awesome guys he pitched like Aaron Nola last year and we're all wanting Aaron Nola this offseason oh hey text line Go look up. Do, do the comparison yourself. Look up Michaelis versus Nola over the past two full seasons. It's the same pitcher. And you tell me which one you'd rather have. If I did the blind taste test, I think many of you would end up taking Miles Michaelis in that comparison. I would never I'm trust not telling you, you that you should. Test, though. I'm telling you that I think a lot of you would if I didn't include the strikeout But numbers. what I'm saying is 
pretend he is a three like we've just mentioned. Look at this season as saying this is what we are expecting from Miles Michaelis next year. So that I go out there and acquire Nola Snell, Yamamoto, Imagina, one of these guys to be the two. And then Miles Michaelis outperforms what the expectations are next year. That's how you build success for next season. You can't go into it saying, we've got Miles, let's get one more. By the way, I think people are underestimating what he's been this year as well. I'm not telling you that he's been great, but like, how many times did we hear calls from people saying, hey, go get Lance Lynn? Why? You have a guy that's better than Lance Lynn right now. Lance stinks. Your guy that you currently have as part of your rotation is quite a bit better than Lance Lynn was this season. They both have the same issue. It's the home run ball. Home run ball really got to Miles Michaelis this year. He's your Taiwan Walker. He's going to go out there. He's not going to throw. He's not going to strike out the world, but you know what he's going to give you every fifth day. And Taiwan Walker has been a really solid three or four starter for the Phillies this year, a team that has legitimate belief that they can win the World Series in 2023. That's what you could be next year. And just like the Phillies, like if you need to go out there and make an upgrade, you can do that by the time that you get to the postseason. All right. I want to hear two quick things from Ken Rosenthal, who was on foul territory yesterday. Alex, we've talked a lot about the top two pitchers really on the market, which is Aaron Nola and Blake Snell. Let's start by hearing what Ken Rosenthal said on who would be a good fit this offseason for Blake Snell. Next on the list, the likely National League Cy Young Award winner. Blake Snell. Now, if you're a team with a need at the top of the rotation, which is pretty much every team, Blake Snell looks really good right now. 1.20 ERA in his last 23 starts. That is Gibson-esque. He is a guy who is at the top of his game. I'll give you some teams where I think he fits really well. St. Louis Cardinals. Hello. They need multiple starting pitchers. Boston Red Sox. The Dodgers. Houston Astros, oh, the Phillies, stop. if they lose Aaron Noah, the Orioles, uh, if they are willing they to spend do. the money, Blake Snell would be a perfect fit for the Baltimore Orioles. He just listed six teams and like, bap, 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 bap. Well, and you cut it off. I should think you hit probably had 10 more. Uh, he, he basically said every team in baseball could use a guy like Blake Snell. So that's not ideal. He did mention the Cardinals first, though. Wow. Specifically said, Cardinals oh. make a lot of sense. Are we going to read into that? Need versus actually happening. Oh, two different scenarios. Could be either way. Maybe they get him. Maybe they're the team that's going to be connected to Blake no, Snell. I've, I've, heard James, lefties. I've heard James Paxton's pretty impre- impressive. Here's what he said about Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola. Now, he's a guy who's had kind of an inconsistent year. I wonder where he's going to be as a free agent. I don't know that he's going to be in the Rodan territory, this $160 million range. I don't know if that's going to happen for him. But let's look at something here that shows you why Aaron Nola will appeal to teams. Innings pitched since 2018. Garrett Cole, 1,067 and two-thirds. Aaron Nola is just nine innings behind him. And then there's a gap to the next two on the list, Jose Barrios and Zach Wheeler. So Nola has been a workhorse. All of those teams that I mentioned that need starting pitching, St. Louis, Boston, you name it, right down the line, the Dodgers, the Astros. His postseason is going to be important for him because he's had this kind of inconsistent year. If he puts it together in the postseason, people are going to see the good Aaron Nola, the Aaron Nola that he's been for most of his career, and they will be intrigued. So they're getting both? 
I'm not sure anybody has a more important postseason on uh, coming up than Aaron Nola. Oh, absolutely. I, I think of the upcoming free agents, he is the one that stands the most to gain. Now, I don't think he can lose a whole lot because he's already had a bad season and people know exactly what they're getting for the most part with Nola. And this is the downside of what you'll get with him, which is decreasing velocity, decreasing uh, strikeout rates, and a guy that's going to still go out there despite all of that and give you 180-plus innings every single season that he's on your team. The upside, though, is the guy can be a legitimate, maybe not number one, but de facto number one in your rotation. He could be a number two that you try to upgrade from at the deadline by going out and acquiring whoever the top ace is that's available on the market that year. So Aaron Nola has a ton to gain this this postseason. I do like what he said there at the beginning, though. He doesn't think he's going to be getting the Carlos Rodon type of a deal. Six years, 160-ish million dollars. If he ends up in that five years, 125, that is the type of range that I would be interested in Aaron Nola at. Yeah, that's where I would be very comfortable with, and that's where I I try and decide what makes more sense. Obviously, you have to decide which free agent would be willing to come here, but that or Blake Snell, and then you also take into consideration what else you could get with Nola. If you're talking about uh, Imana, Ima, I always Imanaga. Imanaga. I need to say go. it faster like that. If you're talking him and Nola... That's a damn good offseason if you can accomplish that. Yeah, and I think that five-year deal is about where the Cardinals would be comfortable. I don't know if they'll go seven, six, seven Agreed. years, and I don't know if they want to gill more than $125 million over the long term of a contract. And that that feels like settling on that second tier, but if Aaron Nola's in that second tier, you still got a pretty good number one, number one starter for you in your rotation, the de facto number one, and then you hope you can develop that number one in the next two, three years. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Kiley. If you guys have any questions for us, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Alex is excited to talk about this. How many NFL teams can reasonably win the Super Bowl this year, boys? I know we're only a few weeks into the season. However, we got to continue to update this list. Right now, as of today, how many teams can actually not just get to the postseason, but reasonably get to the Can I just go by conference? Chiefs and Dolphins in the AFC. Only two teams that I have really? up there. Yeah. I, I just can never count out Mahomes and Kelsey. I really can't. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's more than two that can oh, win no, the Super I don't. Bowl from the AFC. I, I don't. I think Miami and Kansas City have proven they're the dominant forces and then everyone else. Now, trade deadline could change things if they make some moves. Kansas NFC, City can't even beat the Lions. Like, come on. <laughs> NFC? Like, give me a minute because I think there's like five teams that could actually win it. In the Super Bowl? Out win of the, the NFC. Bowl? Out of the NFC? What the hell? Cowboys, Eagles, Niners, Lions. You think Detroit can? Yeah. I like it. Their defense has been better than anybody expected this year. Why why am I blanking on this other team right now? Because there's probably Atlanta, New Orleans. No, God, no. Neither of those. Seattle? No. Rams? Green Bay? no. So maybe it was only four that I had. I could have sworn it was five. So four in the NFC. I've got two in the NFC. Dallas and Philly. and Philly. 
I don't. You don't think, you don't think the Niners Brock can Purdy win? Can't make enough plays he when just, needed. He hates Brock, Brock Purdy. Purdy's been really good this no, year. I'm Brock not Purdy's in been Brock better Purdy. than half of the quarterbacks what in the NFC. What do you have against Brock Purdy? He can't make the big open plays when they're there. It's He's just, missed a ton of throws down the field Dak, this season. Dak Prescott has been worse though this oh, year. I than, trust Dak more than I trust Brock Purdy. It's just. Yeah. It's just Brock because Purdy's, Brock Purdy's putting up numbers. He can't hit the deep throw. <laughs> it's just because they beat his Rams team. So we've got those two in the NFC. What a Miami trash take. Baltimore. What well, the fact that you're take. going two teams out of the AFC, the best conference in football. There's, there's absolutely zero reason for me to believe that Baltimore could beat Miami to get to a Super Bowl. Oh, I could totally see Baltimore beat Baltimore's Miami. Baltimore's been doing nothing offensively. They're hurt. Oh, my God. What are you talking about? I, I would say Miami, okay. Baltimore, and Cincinnati, and Jacksonville, the and Kansas City are the five in the AFC. Get the hell out of here. Can, but yeah. San Francisco can't. Yeah. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Brock Purdy's not done enough for me to be a guy that's going to take you to a Super Bowl (laughs) and win it. If he stays healthy, they might have gone last year. No, no. They're going to lose that game to Philly. They went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy freaking Garoppolo. Better quarterback. You don't believe that. I don't believe that. But I'm not sold on Brock Purdy. I don't think you need to be. The rest of that team is so – like, I'm not even doing a bit right now. I'm genuinely. I I think that you can make an argument that the 49ers are the best team in the NFL right now. No, I wouldn't listen to it. And I don't think it's hard to do. I think you're crazy if you think that. What a terrible take, wow, man. Okay. Um, I've got eight. I've got eight. How many do I have? Philly, Dallas, San Francisco, Detroit. We have the same teams okay. in the NFC, Alex. I've got KC, Miami. I think we all agree there. Is that the six that we all agree on other than T-Bone being crazy about a San Francisco <laughs> idea? Hey, Brandon. Uh, we got saying, five we, we all, can agree on. <laughs> we agree on five of the six, and T-Bone can be the outlier yeah, at San Francisco. Sure. Buffalo, Baltimore. Those are the other two that I've got in the AFC. I, I've just, I'm not in on Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore's offense has not shown me that they can be dominant enough to beat Miami. And their defense is already banged up. What do you think they're going to do through the rest of the season? I've got one other team that I want to throw up for consideration. Can Cleveland do it? No. No. Next question. <laughs> That's one that T-Bone and I can agree upon. I'm being serious. No, they can't do it. They don't have the quarterback to do it. Watson is not good enough to get them. They have a great defense. Because they they don't just have a good defense. They've got the a great you defense. Use is correct. They have a special defense. That defense has a chance to be excellent this year. They've allowed 32 points through the first three games of the season. I'm trying to think who they remind me of because there's been a couple of teams that it's like, man, that defense is so good. But then you look at the offense, it's just like it can't do enough. Um, but I I don't think the offense is good enough. I without Chubb, with Chubb, maybe I could have heard the argument. Without him, they don't have a chance. They got to rely on Watson, and Watson just doesn't do it for me. I, yeah, I, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, Jacksonville's my team that I'm trying to figure out still. I can't decide if what we've seen over the first three weeks is just kind of like bad luck because they have had some moments where you know a wide receiver gets one foot down and he's a half an inch out of the boundary and it doesn't count as a touchdown, and instead they end up kicking a field goal two plays later. Like that stuff has been happening a lot with them. But losing 37 to 17 against Houston is something that I'm having a tough time getting over. Their next two weeks, they've got Atlanta and Buffalo. It's entirely possible they start the year one and four. And if you start the year one and four, it's hard for me to believe that you're a legitimate Super Bowl contender, unless you've done it before. But like Cincinnati's the one team that I'm still kind of flirting with over here. There's some flirtation going on. I think it's kind of wild that none of us have them on our it's list. All, it always leads. Flirtation always leads to good things, man. So just keep up the flirting. Do you think that Cincinnati can win the Super Bowl this year? No, I don't. I think Cincinnati's going to be in a position where they're going to have to trade one of those wide receivers. Whether well, it's it'll be T. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's kind of who I assumed. But I, what I mean by that is they're going to be in a position where they don't view themselves as contenders, which 
I guess if you're Cincinnati, it's hard to. I don't know how they can ever get to that. Right, spot. but if you've got that and you know you're going to lose them for nothing, and you think you could bring something worthwhile in, I think you take advantage I, of that. It just comes down to Burrow's calf. Does that thing get healthy? Because it was clear, like he looks terrible right now. He can't do enough. He can't move around, and I think he's having trouble getting because he's not practicing. He's having trouble getting on sync with everybody. If his calf continues to be an issue throughout the season, no, they cannot win the Super Bowl. All right, next thing up through NFL quick hitters. Did you guys see what Robert Sala said the other day, the New York Jets head coach? No, but uh, we talk about guys who probably should be fired. Boy, he might be in that category. I like Robert Sala. I think he's a good coach, man. But he's been saddled with this Zach Wilson problem for a couple of years now, and he can't seem to get himself out of this mess. So... He was lauding how Zach Wilson, quote, didn't turn the ball over, and he added that they were still in it until the end because they played a, quote, clean game on offense up until that point. Guys, the Jets cannot win anything meaningful with this guy as their quarterback. They signed Trevor Bleepin Simeon the other day to be his backup. Trevor Simeon is nobody's answer at the quarterback position. They've got to go out there and do something soon, right? You've got Kansas City this week on Sunday Night Football, and you're going to throw Zach Wilson out there? Dude, Casey, I understand. They, in the past, have not had a good defense. This is a really good defense of Kansas City this year. They're going to make him look silly. Next week, they're in Denver. All right, fine. Maybe you could find a way to win that one. But after that, it's Philly. And then you've got the bye week. That bye week is what I'm targeting right now. If they can get one more win in the next three weeks and get into that bye week, you got to make a trade. You have to trade for somebody at the quarterback position. You cannot keep running this thing back, man. It's embarrassing what they're doing right now. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, the fact that the rumors are coming out now that the locker room is getting upset with how Robert Sala has been handling the Zach Wilson situation in terms of his attitude. No, I can't. And if I'm the New York Jets and all of the hype that was around my team and the offseason that we had and you brought in all of these weapons to help out Aaron Rodgers, this is a bleep show with Zach Wilson. And I expected to be competitive. And if you're not going to make the right moves, the proper moves to detour when you lose a quarterback that's supposed to take you elsewhere and now you're like oh, well well can we do we're stuck with zach wilson no what's the what, what do we say all the time with doug armstrong who was it craig button it's your job as a general manager to make your team a, a competitor i've mentioned You've, that before and it gets thrown back in my face but well whatever. but you, you use it in bad context i use it in better context sure. here like go out there and find a quarterback i don't care that this never happens that other teams don't trade quarterbacks they will if you offer up the right deal you know what ended up working out one time Sam Bradford getting traded for a first-round draft pick from the Philadelphia Eagles. The Minnesota Vikings were desperate. Their quarterback, I think it was Teddy Bridgewater at the time, went down with a serious injury. He was going to be missing for the entirety of the season. That was right before the year started. Listen, should they have traded a first-round pick for Bradford? No, probably not. But the point is that they found a way to make it work. They found a way to go get the guy that they knew, hey, this guy isn't technically available right now. I think Carson Wentz was uh, the Philly quarterback at that point. They were going to wait to start Carson Wentz, but they got a first-round pick in in return for Bradford. They said, hey, got to do it. That's the kind of thing that the Jets need to do. Not a first-round pick, but call up the Vikings three weeks from now if they're going to be, you know, at that point in time, one in five. Say, hey, what does it need to be? Does it need to be a second Do we need to give you a second round pick for Kirk Cousins, who's on an expiring deal? And if so, get it done. Call up the Chicago Bears. Absolutely. Say, hey, we got a third round pick. It's not working with Justin Fields there. Your season is an abomination, and this is going nowhere fast. Justin Fields is broken. 
We'll give you a third round pick for him because that is how desperate we are right now. Hey, Jacoby Brissett, you're with Washington. You're the backup quarterback there. Can we give you a fourth round pick for him, a conditional? If he starts the next 10 games for us, you get a third round pick out of this. That's the kind of thing the Jets have to do. They've got to go out there and be aggressive. Otherwise, this season is going to be a throwaway. And dude, the problem is then you lose your locker room. Now Robert Sala goes into next season and his messaging is completely torn to shreds because you were the guy that made us try to believe in Zach Wilson. That guy never had a chance to be a capable NFL starting quarterback. I mean, yeah. I'd be calling ten- I'd be calling Tennessee too and saying sure. like, hey, give me Tannehill. Yeah. I mean, I, you can get any deal you want as long as you offer up the right deal. And frankly, if you're in win now mode, which is what you did for Aaron Rodgers, you might as well start selling off pieces and start winning. Call New Orleans whenever uh, Carr comes Carr back, comes back. Comes back yep. and go, go get yourself a guy that is not ideal. Not ideal at all. But Winston's fine. He can start games capably for you. Go get the red rifle when Bryce Young's back. No, don't go do get that. Taysom Hill. Like, go get one of somebody. Go get somebody. Taylor that, Heineke. That's really what this comes down to. Kaka, go get Josh Dobbs whenever. Um, oh yeah, Kyler's Kyler's back. Whenever seriously. Back. Hell, go just go get Kyler. Yeah, go get Kyler. Okay, Arizona or, might be cool with Dobbs. Honestly, Cole Carson wins. He's whoa, terrible. Whoa, okay. He's bad. Whoa, okay, he's whoa, better whoa. than Zach Wilson is. Uh, Zach Wilson's a great locker room guy. Yeah, you get. He's the, not. He's go not. out there and make an aggressive move to go Falling get your quarterback. Back. What's Sam Darnold doing? He's a backup in San Francisco. Yeah. Gonna have that job soon. You wanna know you want a starter's job, Sammy D? Honestly, I would call Carolina whenever Bryce Young's back and be like, hey, we want Andy Dalton. All of these guys are better options than what they have currently. Yeah. I, By I, the I, way, Andy Dalton being better than Bryce Young is concerning. He was legitimately better in that I game said for it all Carolina. Along, guys. CJ Stroud was the real deal, not Bryce Young. Fine. Okay. What's CJ Stroud I, do over the I weekend? Think I'm, at the risk of sounding alarmist, I think I'm out on Bryce Young. I've been out since the draft. Stroud and Richardson are better than Young. I would be genuinely concerned if I was a Panthers. That's who they should get, Garner Minshew. Thor? I'll take a little Thor action out and put him in New York. New York, that'd be fun. Get hey. Mike White. Call it Miami. Okay, magic. That guy worked out well for us last Should've year. Should have just kept him. No You're kidding. not wrong. What's Mark Sanchez doing? What's your flag? He's on the, the butt fumble has gone away by now, right? Yeah, time. Okay. Call up Tony Romo. <laughs> Philip Rivers. Can they oh, call Phil? Absolutely. I'm He's in. definitely getting Phillip, sick of the 27 kids I am going to take care of your 17 kids for the rest of this year. If you could name one quarterback that you actually want to see in, in New York, who would it Justin be? Justin Fields. I want to see him with legit offense. That would be the team that I'd like. And I want to see Jacoby Brissett there. I think Jacoby Brissett could get that team to like eight, nine wins. I, I just think you got a better offensive coordinator and frankly, a better led team than Chicago. So put Justin Fields in a better spot. I want to see him in Atlanta. I'd That's like that the team too. that I want to see. Uh, Fantasy football purposes, I'd like that too. Uh, I think I would go with either Brissett or, if they were willing to pay up the capital, Cousins. Cousins is a fun one. Cousins would be fun in New York. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, if you guys have any questions, get them in on the text line right now. You guys can uh, throw some questions in on the YouTube chat as well. We are at 101 ESPN STL on YouTube. This one comes from the 314. 
Guys, when you talk about the Blues, I keep getting the feeling it'll be another one of those years where the Blues get a lot of shots on goal, but not many actual goals. I can't explain it. Do you think that they will have a good offense this year? Well, if you watched last night, then you know that the saying. shots on goal might be a little concerning. Three and two periods. Four. Not four, bad. Oh, four. Two periods. Um, I do think they're going to have a good offense. Uh, Craig Berube said it last night that, look, he... he 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 values quality over quantity. He's not a Pete DeBoer who just puts the puck on net every single opportunity you get. But he said, we've got more guys that are willing to go to the front of the net now. We've got to make sure more pucks get to that net. So he wants more shots from the blue line. I don't think this team's going to be like top five in shots on goal. But what I do think this team will be is the top half of the league in terms of goal score because they have the potential to have what they had a couple of years ago in terms of seven to nine 20 goal scores they need to be more quantity over quality unlike the last two years where they've tried more quality over quantity um i i think the offense is going to be good but it will be good enough that would be my question and i don't think it will be that's my concern because i think they can have a good offense it'll be better than last year's but i think they're just gonna have to they have to be a great offense from what i see if they're gonna be able to outplay their defensive issues and i just don't know if they're gonna be able to do that uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, how do you think what we've seen so far from Luther Burden compares to what we saw from Jeremy Macklin years ago? I think that's the comparison. Like, if you're going for Mizzou history, it's it's J-Mac. That's, that's the closest thing that I've seen to it. They go about it a little differently. I think Burden is more physical. Macklin played with more speed on the field. Um, but in terms of just the dynamic ability to make guys miss, to get into open space and then take a seven yard gain and make it a 70 yard touchdown. That's the only thing that I can remember that was similar to this. I would say the closest comparison though, is the one that I've heard um, Eli Drinkwitz make, which is Debo Samuel. Yeah. That's who he reminds me of the most because Debo is a guy that you can use him as like a running back wide receiver combo and that's that's kind of what luther burden is at his best yeah i think with both macklin and luther it's the explosiveness i mean in in one split second we're talking about the guy picking up 80 yards and a touchdown and what i love about burden that i don't remember as much with macklin you'd be able to speak it more to me is you can use burden in so many different ways i mean you use him as a running back you use him as a jet sweep wide receiver and then you use him as a deep threat and that's the explosiveness we're talking about I think that sounds about right. I didn't remember much. I don't remember any of Macklin at Mizzou. So. Say you were like what, three? Well, I'm just looking up. He's there seven and eight. I would have been seven and eight years old. I don't remember much about college football. You don't back remember then. a lot about seven and eight? No. He yeah. did some terrible things to your line. I will just yeah. put it that way. Glad I didn't wow. see him. His, his, his debut this year, against right? Illinois was incredible. It was uh, it's quite the show. I remember Tebow. Was that around Tebow's time? Tebow, yeah. Colt McCoy. 2007 mm. was uh, was Tim Tebow. Tebow. I remember uh, that. That's about all I remember from college football then. 2007 was a fun season for uh, our Missouri Great Tigers. year too, you know. Seven, great college football 17 season. 17 years old in the prime of my career. Great college football season. Well, That's was, the one that everybody points to when they're talking about like what this year can be. It's 07. Because they're... It felt like every week the new number one would get knocked off. And by the end of the season, it was Mizzou and Kansas. This year doesn't feel like it has the the star power. Playing against each other at Arrowhead Stadium. We'll never see that again. This this year doesn't feel like it has the star power that 2007 did, though. I don't know how much star power. I think there is as much star power as I can remember in college football in a long time. Look at all the quarterbacks there are now. And Dion. Dion changes the calculus of this as well. 
Yeah, and he got a two-way player, too, in Hunter. Now, I know he's out now, but when he was playing. But, yeah, I think you've got Sanders. you got Sanders' kid. You've got Bo Nix. You've got Michael Penix. Caleb like, Williams, who won the Heisman last year, like, not even in the conversation right now dude, for the Heisman. USC has the best player in the country, and they are the secondary story in their game that they're going to be playing this week at CU. Think about that for a second. Caleb Williams, the almost locked-in number one quarterback, number one pick next year in the draft, guy that won the Heisman last year, absolutely could win it again this season, depending on how things go the rest of the way. He is the second most famous player that will be hey, that will be at that game. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Thank you. LSU versus Ole Miss this weekend. All right, calm down. We got Notre Dame versus Duke. That's sneaky fun. good matchup this That's weekend. That's like Mizzou, Kansas back when they were one too. You know. Sneaky good one. Sneaky good one. All right, coming up next. Brad Thompson said yes something yesterday that uh that got my attention. T Bone and Alex have not heard this audio yet. So if my reaction sucks, I'm sorry. We will get their reaction live to Brad Thompson talking about Wilson Contreras' future as a catcher here in St. Louis. That's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. So yesterday I was tuning into the Fastlane as I do each and every day from 2 to 6 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. You can also check it out on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. And Alex, yesterday... For the first hour, they were joined by our friend, Bally Sports Midwest color analyst, Brad Thompson. And they got into the conversation about Wilson Contreras. And I figured when they teased the segment, okay, well, probably going to talk about how it was a successful season. Look at all of this offense that he was able to provide and look at how much better he got defensively behind the plate. That is not (laughs) the direction that this segment went. Here's what Brad Thompson had to say about Wilson Contreras' future with the Cardinals and why it might not be a catcher. I think that they're going to have those conversations with Wilson again after the season of, hey, would you be willing to play a corner and DH? And I would say potentially even bring in another catcher, bring in a free agent, and then have either Kisner or Herrera back him up potentially. Again, spitballing, but I think that that's kind of well how they would want it to look because, look, you, you eyeball test, he's not great back there. And will he continue to work on it? Yes. Will he get better sure but will it get to the point where he is like a plus catcher i don't know i don't know if he has that in the skill set but it comes down to if they do have that conversation again i don't i don't have knowledge that they are going to but they made it seem like they would revisit this in the offseason uh it comes down to his willingness to play somewhere else and let that bat play because the bat is a game changer So let's continue. One other thing that he said, there was a follow-up question. I think it was a good one by Jamie Rivers. Can him being a DH and an outfielder, can can you justify the money that you spent on him if that ends up being the position that he plays? Here's Brad. His bat justifies the signing, I think. You think? If if he is willing to play a corner for you in DH and then catch maybe sometimes, I still think that a five-year, $87 million deal, that's fine. Like He's a 20-plus home run guy. He'll drive in some runs. He'll bring some intensity. Like I think the signing itself would be justified if that happened. I am legitimately surprised this is a conversation. And this is, I promise you, zero disrespect to Brad Thompson. Because I think he is telling you what the organization is thinking as much as anything else. That's just me reading between the lines there. 
Alex, if they are genuinely considering approaching Wilson Contreras this offseason about a position change, because that's what this would be. This is a you're an outfielder now who happens to play DH occasionally. You are basically Jordan Walker. You're, you're playing the same type of role as Jordan Walker does for this team. Left field every day. And when you're not in left field, you're going to be our DH. Personally, my own opinion on the matter, this would be a disastrous decision by the St. Louis Cardinals. And the reason why I believe that, first of all, he would be a below average defensive uh, outfielder for this team. So while maybe not as valuable defensively as a catcher, you already have a guy in right field that is a below average right fielder right now. I think he could be average. I think he could even be above average with what we've seen lately from Jordan Walker, but he's certainly not there yet. And it's going to take some time. Lars Newbar in center field, if that's his everyday position, is average at best. I think he's a pretty solid defender in left. I think he's an average center field defender. If you're then putting together an outfield that includes those three guys, man, we're running it back in terms of what we saw at the beginning of this year with poor defensive play in the outfields yet again. The other issue that stems from this is he's going to need quite a few days at DH if he's going to be playing in the outfield for you. Now that clogs up that DH spot, which is a similar issue to what they had going into this season. Third issue that you have, man, you are already crowded in the outfield. And now we're going to throw one more DH corner outfielder type into this mix. Whoo, buddy. I think this would be a really bad decision by the Cardinals. Now, if they think it's just too bad with him behind the plate to continue to do this moving forward, they've got to make hard decisions. And maybe this is one of them that they think makes them ultimately a better team. But I would disagree with it. I would not go this direction. I think Wilson Contreras should be your primary catcher going into next season. Alex, when you hear that from BT yesterday on the fast lane, your reaction was what? I hate it. I, I wish this narrative would die. I, and and look, I, this, BT is absolutely coming from a knowledgeable understanding. And that's the part that bothers me the most. Like, this is something the Cardinals are probably going to do. Why? How does this benefit you next season to use Wilson Contreras as a DH or as an outfielder? We're acting like Wilson Contreras is bad defensively behind the plate. And look, there have been times he's been bad. There have been he, other he times. Is. Fine. But there have been other times that he's been f- good enough for you. We're going to sit here and act like he's going to make your defense better to be in the outfield as a corner outfielder. That's not going to happen. I think the big, the hope again, I disagree with this. I I want to say that on the front end, but the hope and belief would be if you get in a Tucker Barnhart type, I don't, I don't even know who they would go out there and acquire, but if you go out there and get a legit starting catcher, who's good defensively and is a good game caller, it can help your pitching play up. I think this year your issue with your pitching was the lack of talent. Yeah. I don't think that Wilson Wilson Contreras won a bleep in World Series behind the plate, man. The, the Cubs made it work with him behind the plate, and, and that was before he was an experienced player back there. So I, I don't think this is the thing that was holding you back. I think we have now learned, hey, Jack Flaherty was just never going to work out. It didn't work out with an all-star catcher with him right now in Baltimore, and he's now in the bullpen as a result. Jordan Montgomery was good here, and he's good down in Texas. The guys that are good pitchers – they will find a way to succeed despite or regardless of who is calling the game from behind the plate. And I don't understand why we're acting like all season long, every time Wilson Contreras is behind the plate, the pitcher's only going three innings and he's given up seven runs. Like Wilson Contreras has been behind the plate for some pretty good games as well. So I I just, I don't like this narrative. And now the fact that you're going to go into free agency and spend money, valuable money that should be going towards pitching, you're going to go spend it on another catcher where you're already, you have Andrew Kisner and T-Bone and I are on the page that Yvonne Herrera is going to be trade bait. 
when you've got somebody who will be fine for you? Like, do we really want to pretend that Tucker Barnhart is going to improve this pitching staff that significantly if you get him? So I, I hate this narrative, and I think what this is going to become is Wilson Contreras is going to become a DH, and if I'm Wilson, I'm pissed. I mean, you signed me to be the catcher. Give me an opportunity to be the catcher. Don't let a half of a season where my teammates were throwing me under the bus for not being able to catch well when I caught fine towards the end of the season, and now you're just going to tell me I'm an outfielder. No, this is ridiculous. And frankly, if I'm Wilson, I'm probably looking at this saying, where where else can I go? Can you trade me somewhere? Yeah, I I think it would be a mistake, too, to do this. Now, I do agree with the notion that would could they be better off with a defensive-minded catcher that calls the game probably better? Yes. But with that being said, I think your point of th- then you have to spend more valuable money that this team needs to use as many resources to go out and get true starters, three starters and bullpen arms. Like they just don't they don't have enough room to go out there and do that and bring in another catcher and convert this deal into something else. Like I guess you could make the argument that his deal would play fine if he were a DH and the bat makes up for anything less defensively. But I, would I think just his put primary that behind position, home play. by the way, would would be outfield. Like if I, you're going down this path, you have to play him regularly. The, the Playing left field like Kyle Schwarber did with the Cubs, and how'd yeah. that go? The thing I don't understand about that idea by the Cardinals would be, what was the whole issue that they felt was a major problem besides the catching defense? It was the outfield defense this year. And by putting him in left, I think Walker will be above average next year. I agree, Newpar's probably average in center, but now you're below average in left. Like You didn't do much in terms of improving defensively in the outfield. I think your outfield best next year is Newpar's in left and Edmonds in center. And I don't like Edmonds in center because of his arm, but at least he can get underneath the ball and make plays. So I, I don't understand that whole idea, and I don't think they would be willing to just jam the DH spot completely with Wilson Contreras. It, it feels like they're chasing their tail in terms of, oh, we got to go get another Yadier Molina who can lift this pitching staff up. Nobody available in the Major League Baseball is going to do this. Like, sure, you're going to get a guy who might be able to come in and frame pitches a little bit better. Sure, you're going to get a guy who's not going to let the wild pitches go crazy, but it's not like Yadier Molina sitting out there as a free agent. Like This is the problem. Like, I'll go ahead and read you the top catching options that are available on the market, guys. It is, it's ugly. It's Gary Sanchez, who's a terrible defensive catcher. Mitch Garver, who is a below average defensive catcher. Martin Maldonado, who has been so bad this year behind the play, or at the plate in terms of his hitting, that Astros fans want him replaced desperately. And their manager keeps putting him out there because he's really good defensively. Jan Gomes, who I think the Cubs are going to pick up that $6 million option. Why not? He's, it's not a ton of money, and he's been really solid for them this year. That's kind of it. Like, Austin Hedges is available. Yes, Monty Grandal, who's bad defensively. Victor Caratini. Like, there's not good defensive catchers available. Maldonado would be the closest one that you could get. That would be Molina S. So you're handles gonna, a pitching staff and well. He is embarrassing. So you're going to put a dude in your batting order who's going to hit 175 for you because he's good defensively. I mean, the team ERA in 2016 for the Cubs was 315. Seemed to handle those pitchers fine. I I just, I don't understand this, how a half of a season of Wilson Contreras, when all of the narrative was throwing him under the bus, turns into, well, let's move on from him and make an outfielder next year and bring in a new catcher. Why not give him the offseason to work with the pitching staff that you put together to see if he can do it? If this is true, the thought process they're having, this tells you that he did not improve in terms of 
preparation and game calling. That would be the only thing that would, would say. So then help him improve in the offseason. But I don't know if you can. Like That is a Contreras thing. That is Contreras showing up to the ballpark and doing his homework right. and getting set. Read, like the article that was written by, uh, I think it was Derek Gould, uh, over the weekend or earlier this week about Herrera and Kisner writing stuff down in a notebook, go, sitting down with Dakota Hudson, preparing for that start. If this is, if this is what the Cardinals are truly going with the notion of, it, we got to go out and get a defensive mind catcher. It's because Contreras never improved in terms of his preparation, and that's on Contreras, and that is True. replaceable. Yeah. That is when you okay. get to the conversation of you've got to replace him behind but home plate. what you just said, and somebody texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line, you guys are all wrong. The Cardinals have to be the most attractive to get their top pitcher. A dominant versus average defensive catcher is the point. Who's the dominant catcher available of the names that BK just listed? I, I think you have to trade for one. Yeah, they would either have to trade for one, or they would go with the approach of... I would assume bringing in Maldonado because he would have preparation. Now the problem with doing that is then you have two very below average bats in Win and Maldonado at the yep. bottom of your order. And um, now you've taken away from what was previously your strength. Like, yeah. The other thing is now you're going to have to trade away outfielders, like more of them, because this becomes a roster crunch issue as well. If you're going to have Contreras as a DH slash outfield type, now you got to make some other difficult decisions. Like maybe this is just as simple as. They're going to go into next season, and and they've already made their choices on who they don't want to be around any longer. Uh, maybe Nolan Gorman is going to be involved in a deal this offseason, and that puts Mason – or they're going to have Mason win at shortstop. They're going to have Tommy Edmond at second base, and they just want to work things out that way. My question then would be, okay, what's your plan with Donovan? Like, this has a trickle-down effect on Brendan Donovan. Maybe Brendan Donovan's involved in one of these trades that Could we're not talking about. he play catcher? Maybe, probably. I think he's the emergency guy. I mean, he's going to have the winter soldier arm. Like, if you're going to have somebody that's consistently getting these at-bats in at the DH slash outfield, it has a serious trickle-down effect. So in order to get Wilson Contreras away from the plate and into these other positions, it requi- it necessitates Putting somebody really bad offensively behind the plate, that makes your lineup worse. It necessitates taking one of those other guys that's really good out of your lineup on a day-to-day basis because you have to find a position for Wilson Contreras to be in there. Like, it's just... The Cardinals knew what they were signing. They did. And if they didn't, that's that's on them. That is not a Wilson Contreras problem. That is on them. Wilson Contreras was always a below-average defensive catcher. He was always a guy that there were questions about whether or not he was good working with the pitching staff. And this was all talked about last year at the trade deadline. So if the Cardinals didn't know about this and we did, dude, that is a really bad look. So I'm going to give them the credit that they deserve. They knew. And they thought we could fix him. And the truth of the matter is the Cardinals have had way too much confidence in being able to fix people. They had way too much confidence that they could fix this pitching staff into becoming a we're going to strike out the world type of a rotation. No, you can't. Guys either have good stuff or they don't. You can get a little bit better. You can have a little bit of an uptick in velocity. That stuff does happen. But in general, man, you are who you are as a pitcher. When you're 25, 30 years old, you're not suddenly going to become a guy that's striking out the world. It doesn't happen. Point me to one guy where it's taking place. Maybe you can, but it's an outlier. You're not going to suddenly become a good defensive catcher. You're not. So they knew what they signed with Wilson Contreras, and now they have buyer's remorse. Sorry, guys. That's what you're stuck with. You have bought into the notion that you are going to have an offensive catcher behind the plate. And now you got to live with it. you got to live with everything that comes with that. Buyer's remorse for a guy who legitimately has been your best bat for 90% of the season. And, and he, I think, met every possible expectation this year of what you signed him to be. It's just a joke. Now, if you signed him 
to be something that he's not, that is on the front office, not on the player. The player is exactly who they signed him to be. He's intense. He hits the crap out of the baseball, and he's a below-average defender behind the plate. All of those things are exactly what the scouting report suggested that he was going to be. So I, I would not do this. I, I think this would be a serious mistake for the Cardinals. Um, but hearing Brad Thompson say that it's something that is at least under consideration for the organization, I, I think that you have to give some weight to that. Because BT doesn't just talk out of his butt. Uh, this is something that he's saying this because it is informed speculation. I'm pretty confident in, in suggesting that. And I agree it would be a mistake unless it is the preparation thing. If it is the preparation thing, then it is the best-case scenario for the Cardinals to go down that trickle-down effect yeah. and find someone behind the plate that can do it. And maybe that is just sticking with Kisner and carrying Herrera as well. But I, I think if there's a, if the preparation is the reason that this is a conversation, and that is the only thing that I can point to, because though he is bad defensively, the bat makes up for it. The bat cannot make up for the lack of preparation. And that would be the reason that if, if they're going to do this, that would be why I would be willing to do it. And I would say... If that is the issue, you should have known about it in the offseason. I 100% agree with that. And you messed up. I agree with that. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X slide for more likely to happen. Let's start with this, guys. More likely to happen: the Cardinals win the NL Central next year, or the Blues make it to the postseason this year. Cardinals win the division next year. Blues make it to the postseason. Have we upgraded at catcher or no? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna uh, win after Gary Sanchez because we need to be no, elite no, 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 defensively no. behind the plate. That wouldn't be him. Let's go get Martin Maldonado and his 165 batting average for our team this year. But hell, he knows how to frame those pitches. No, that it's game management. It pisses me off. Uh like I'll, I'll, I'll stick with what I believe. I, I I believe the Blues will be a playoff team. I. I I view this as the Blues are on the cusp of getting into that bottom playoff spot. So I'll say that's more likely to happen than the Cardinals winning the NL Central. I, I have to wait to see what they do off off season wise for me to sit here and act like they're going to be good. I would say more likely the Cardinals win the Central. I don't think the Blues are a playoff team. Their three shots on goal last night in two periods. Uh, kind of reiterates that they probably could have some of the same issues they had last year. Okay, if you're going to use like, the argument when I go positive, I'll use it negative. It was a preseason game. Yeah, okay. Um, says the guy I should be buying into pretty much playing with Pareko after one preseason game. Um, I, I don't think... I, <laughs> Better with Pareko. I, I have too many questions about the Blues. There's a lot that has to go right, I think, for them to get into the playoffs. I think the Cardinals... When I look at the NL Central going yeah, into next cool year, you're cool with Contreras being an outfielder. I'm, I'm not cool with it, <laughs> but I can understand how they get to that point. Um, T-Bone's been consistent in that. Yeah, I, I think when I look at the NL Central going into next year, I think Milwaukee's taking a step back. I don't think the Reds will spend like they need to with that young core. Cubs are the team that I'd be a little bit fearful of, and the Pirates stink still. So I can see where the Cardinals, they, they sign two, three starters out of the bullpen. Apparently, out of catcher, they could they could be a team that can win the NL Central again. Yeah, I'm with T Bone. I think that it's more likely that the Cardinals end up winning the division next Homers. year. Homers, and that's that's no like high bar to clear. 
<laughs> I think both of these would be homer picks. <laughs> um, I think that this suggests that the Central is going to be bad again next year. I think the Brewers are taking a step back. I think that we're going to see their manager either step away for a year or just flat out take the Mets job. I think one of those two things is going to happen. And I think he's a big piece of why that team has had their success over the last five years or so. I think they're going to probably trade one of their top two starters going into this offseason. And maybe they end up winning a deal and they do what they have been doing previously, which is get William Contreras for nothing. Um, but I, I think it's more likely that the Cardinals end up winning the division because I am buying into the notion that they will be aggressive this offseason. Alex, right. what do you got? More likely to happen, boys. I'm going to bring up a trade conversation for hockey season. How oh, about I, that? I thought you were going to throw out a Contreras trade or No, something. we're not going to do that one. More likely to happen. The Blues midseason trade away Zachary Bolduke or trade away Joel Hofer? Because you're buying in on the Sioux band. Dude, it's fun watching people go Sioux in the arena. Uh, it's not so much Subban, is it? I mean, Subban looks great, but it's also this this Vadim Zarenko kid. They they brought in Subban for him. Yeah. They wanted to have a uh, veteran presence with him. Absolutely. And, and it's going to be a 50-50 split. So, um, well, it's going to be a 50-50 split up here in the NHL whenever Subban is the uh, starting, cor- starting, starting quarterback? quarterback? Goaltender. Are they swinking? Are they swinking or singing? Are they swinking or simming? Uh, I think that it's more likely they trade Bullduke. We've talked about all of the issues that are there. It, it it just sounds so much so similar to the frustrations that they've had with Jordan Kyra. I'm not sure they want to do that again. I I agree. I think it's more likely it would be Bolduke. I think they hope that Hofer can be the backup for at least a year or two before Zarenko's ready. I also the Ky, you mentioned Kyra. It reminds me so much of the Clem Costin situation with Bolduke, to where it's like we want him to be this, we want him to be this, and it's like he's always been known as a goal scorer mm-hmm. i don't know if you can change that guy yeah and that's what it feels like the blues are trying to do with bolduc and what did they do with costin eventually they just gave up and i think they gave him to edmonton for like some hockey puck i don't think that you're allowed to say the first <laughs> word that we, you said we, on the air so we, we should just continue button? here should we hit the dumb button on that one i'm gonna say it's bolduc I, I i i the the idea of hofer's really intriguing especially if zarenko plays well in the minors and obviously, what does everybody want? Do you think and T-Bone knows what he just no, said? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I'm moving on because I didn't know if we wanted to address it. I could sit on that one all night if you'd like, because that was freaking, that was worse than him saying, I'll be the first to touch it. Like, that was great. <laughs> we'll let him figure Ow. it out afterwards what he actually we'll said on the and, rear. We'll go back and um, look at the uh, video. Uh, I mean, you know Bennington's the guy. And if, if you feel like Zarenko has proved himself, I do wonder if you look at it and say, I wonder what we could get for this in terms of fixing certain areas that need. And Zarenko could be the guy that plays backup and then takes over when Bennington's gone. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. T-Bone, I'm going to let you get to yours here in just a minute, but I feel like you need to be put in timeout for a moment. I disagree. I 100% agree. More Whoa. likely to happen. Purdy makes the Pro Bowl this year nah. or the Rams make the playoffs? Oh, well, it'd be him making the Pro Bowl. Everybody makes the damn Pro Bowl. Tyler Huntley was a Pro Bowler last year. He just year. won't be able to play in the Pro Bowl because there's no the standards Super Bowl. for the Pro Bowl. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with you there, but the Rams making the playoffs is a joke. They're good at football team. Grand- Did you see that boring game on Monday yeah. night? Sean McVay got away from the football. You know, he'll yeah. learn. He'll learn. I don't know who he's going to have run the football. Kyron the answer is very clearly Purdy making the Pro Bowl. Absolutely. And he might be justified in making the Pro Bowl this year. His numbers are really good, man. You're okay. a hater. Everybody ahead, makes a Pro Bowl. More <laughs> likely to be a Cardinal at the start of 2024. Blake Snell or Lucas Giolito? Or excuse me, not Giolito. 
Dylan Cease. I'm struggling. <laughs> I just can't with these texts coming in right now. <laughs> I'm just gonna turn my mic off. Okay? The text that just came in got me so well. <laughs> the new nickname for him? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the text line open, so I'm glad. I wouldn't open it. What did oh, you ask? You won't know what it means. <laughs> uh, oh, more God. likely to be a Cardinal at the start of 2024. Blake Snell or Dylan Cease? Blake Snell. Yeah, it's not going to be Dylan Cease. I threw Cease's name in there because of Contreras' and left. We've got pieces to trade. <laughs> If Contreras is left, you might be trading Contreras because he's not going to play last when next year they have like the best. They're going to be the the best best rotation in baseball with an offense that can't hit or a defense that completes or makes errors left and right. Yeah, they're going to go so far in on the swing and miss stuff this offseason. They're going to be like, oh, our defense doesn't matter. We're going to have Lars Newbar in center, Jordan Walker in right, Nolan Gorman at second. Um, Wilson Contreras and left and Alec mm. Burleson at first base. Ooh, wait, what'd you do with Goldie? Yeah, you heard me. Whoa. He gone. We traded Goldie for a pitcher. Oh, he's he's on the, Gilbert. Love he's on the Mariners now. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to say Blake Snell here. There's no way Dylan sees us here. And then our outfield is going to be giving up like the most errors we've ever seen in I, Major League Baseball I history. I think I would make the, the necessary trade that it would take for the Cardinals to make the White Sox interested, I don't think I'm interested in making that deal from the Cardinals' perspective. So I think they just have to give up too much. Like, I don't want to give what up if you Nolan Gorman for Dylan the outfield. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Well, they might be. I'd like to manage against you. <laughs> I, I think it would be Blake Snell, too. Plus, you know, you need a ton of swing and miss. You're going to have Contreras in the left. What is going on with you the big, You You big fan of pie, T-Bone? <laughs> huh? What kind? I do like pumpkin pie. Well, no. Well, it's not that one. It's another P1. Mm-hmm. All right. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Alex is 12. I am as well. Coming <laughs> up next, Yakub Vrana has the potential to completely Yacoub. change the outlook for the Blues this season. So much so that he could be their 40-goal scorer that they've been lacking. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Right off the face off, the Blues get the puck, shoot and score. Verona. Verona found it and backhanded it in. One nothing Blues. That's what it sounded like last night right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Yakub Verana getting off to a hot start for the St. Louis Blues. Alex, I think he is the single player that has the best chance to change the ceiling for the St. Louis Blues in 2023. We all know what Jordan Cairo has the potential to do. He nearly got to 40 goals last season. And what was considered to be a weird year, down year for him overall, offensively still was able to put up that point production that you were looking for. Jeremy Rutherford pointed this out yesterday on Twitter. In the preseason and the regular season, obviously we're comparing apples to oranges, but since arriving in St. Louis from Detroit, Vrana has 11 goals and 16 points in his 22 games. That is roughly the equivalent of getting to 40 goals over the course of a full NHL season. And that's in line with what his production has been, Alex, in the regular season over the last few years. In his last 100 games, he has 43 goals overall. Again, not quite that 40 goal peak. 
but that would pace out to be like 34, 35 mm-hmm. over the course of a regular season. He has a real chance to be that guy, especially if he gets more ice time here in St. Louis than he did previously. Alex, last year, the NHL featured 19 players that scored at least 40 goals. The only teams that had multiple guys on that list were Edmonton, New Jersey, Florida, and Toronto. All of those teams are considered to be quite good, I think it is fair to say. Do you think that it is reasonable to believe that the Blues could have two 40-goal scores on their roster this season? I, I do, uh, and I think Yakub Verana should be viewed in that light, and, and I understand the skepticism with Yakub Verana, especially when you just kind of look at what he has dealt with in the past and the inconsistency, but here's the deal. I always go back to when I talked with the Detroit Red Wings beat writer when they acquired him. And he told me all of us in Detroit, when he was acquired, assumed he was going to be a 40 goal scorer every season. Now it did not pan out, but Yakub Verana is a goal scorer. Here's the other piece. Even strength wise from 2018 up until the 2020, 2021 season, here are the top five goal scorers at even strength in the NHL in that. What is that? Three year span for you. Matthews Ovechkin, McDavid, Kyle Connor, Yakub Verana. Damn. That's even strength goals. He scored 43 in 119 games. Yeah, this is not a guy that prior to last season was a significant contributor on the power play. And I mean, his first four years in the NHL combined, he had a total of six power play goals. Well, four and, years combined. And look at the way that he was utilized. Washington, all of his time in Washington, 2018 and 2019, both years, he was like a third-line winger for them. And he yep. scored 24 and 25 goals and was on the second power play unit. He goes to Detroit that first year that he was acquired, scores eight goals in 11 games, season ends. The next season, before he kind of leaves the team, scores 13 goals in 26 games. And again, he's like second-line player for them. Now imagine what you're going to be getting when you're going to get top six minutes and also potentially get on the number one power play unit. So yeah, I don't think you're outlandish to say that you could have two 40 goal scores because Ver- because Verona has showcased that ability. He could be your Brad boys type of a season. Absolutely. Where, like comes out of nowhere. Whoa, that could do that 40 goals. And then he's gone. Like that is entirely possible that this season, he <laughs> has this could crazy do. <laughs> good season. It works out perfectly for the blues. And then he goes and gets a $6 million per year, AAV salary elsewhere. Yeah. Like that is very much in play, but you look at the blues last 20 years, Alex, they've had two 40 goal scores, Vladimir Tarasenko and Brad boys. That's it. In the last 20 years of this blues history, they have just, they've not had guys reach that kind of a pinnacle. You have two players on your roster right now that have the potential to be that. And if this team is going to reach its ceiling, it will require, it will necessitate multiple players outperforming expectations offensively, I believe. Yeah. I know what the defense is. I know what their questions are back there. I know what the questions are with the forwards defensively honest. I'm not totally convinced that they upgraded this forward group defensively as much as people are suggesting. I think Kevin Hayes is really solid. I think he's a better offensive player, though, than defensive player. I think Yakub Brana is a potentially special offensive player. I think Kasperi Kapanen was a little overrated defensively last year, but he's solid. All-around solid game for the Blues. What you could have offensively this year is, I think, what can really propel you in a way that we did not see from a year ago. Last year, early on in this season, that offense looked congested, man. We were talking about, hey, how do you get Ryan O'Reilly going? What do you do to get Jordan Cairo going? Because they were trying to have them on the same line, neither of whom really seemed to fit with the other. And then it was like Shin was kind of off into the distance. 
They just didn't really click. You got to get that offense going early and often this time. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, Barubi, after the game last night, you know, he talked about how talented of a player Verona was, but he also used the comments that I think is a a call out to all of his players. He said, you're going to have to find ways to score more than just being on the outside with your shot. And Verona showcased that. You win the faceoff, he takes the puck, avoids a check, and then dekes the goaltender to go top shelf. And Barubi wants his team to go to the front of the net. We're seeing it from certain guys. I mean, Sunquist and Brandon Saad and Torpchenko. These guys are doing what Craig Barubi is asking. If you're going to be Yakub Verana, if you're going to be Jordan Cairo, if you're going to be Bolduke, if you're going to be Neighbors, you're going to have to find other ways to score than off of the rush because that's what this team's MO seems to be. All right. The other big takeaway that you had from last night's game, Alex. Yeah. This is the most predictable possible takeaway for you from a preseason game you're back in with sunny nothing revs my engine more than a 40 our fourth line goal scorer nothing nothing gets me hotter than that and oscar sunquist has done it makes sense because the sun's beaten down right on us here in st louis uh, two games two preseason games yeah give me it you know that it was great two preseason games he has scored goals standing right in front of the net and guess what this team didn't do last year stand in front of the net. Oscar Sundquist, I don't know if he's going to make 50 games this season because, frankly, when when you've dealt with what he's dealt with, that's a tough thing to do, especially when you play his style. But I could promise you the 50 or more games that he plays in for the St. Louis Blues, he's going to be a dude who parks himself in front of the net. He'll get third-line opportunities. Wouldn't surprise me if he gets power play opportunities on that second unit because he plays like a power forward. And, frankly, that fourth line is going to have three dudes that play that way. They're not fast other than Torpchenko, especially if Nick Ritchie's on it. But what they are is they're heavy. They create space. And it's everything Craig Berube wants. So if Sonny's healthy, Sonny's playing in this lineup. What are you? What are, are you going to try and trade him like you did Barbie last year? No, because Sonny's cheap. He's cost like you're good. Okay, good. He, he has more value value to you than he does elsewhere. Um, reasonable expectations oh, for okay. Oscar Sonny. Well, that's where you lost me. <laughs> Um, like in goal production or points? Just in terms of what you're expecting from Oscar Sundquist this year, give it to me in whatever direction you want. To. I, I'm uh, like ten goals. I, I'd go twelve to fifteen for Sonny because I do believe he's going to get power play time. And career high is fourteen. Yeah, I, I twelve to fifteen is where I'm at with that. I think he's going to get second power play unit time. I think you'll get you'll see some time in the top nine if they need him there. Um, uh, that would be my goal production from him, and I would say just big picture, it's it's the most successful fourth line that you've had since 2019. All-around game. Defensively, average time on ice, point production from the three players, and Sonny's going to be the key cog in all of that. If Sonny's out with injury, you're going to see that fourth line take a step backwards. That's my big prediction with him. I would go 10 to 12 goals. That That would be the range that I'm hoping for out of him. My my concern is, are we overhyping the improvement on the fourth line from what it was early last season? Not what it ended up being, because I'm with you, Alex. At the, at the end of the year, this really the middle of the season, after they had just traded Nolachari, there were some serious growing pains. But Nolachari was a really good player for the Blues last yeah, season. Yeah, but the wingers weren't. They had Torbchenko. 
Jarvchenko, I feel like we talk about him as if he like was in and out of the lineup all year. He played 70 games yeah, for the Blues. He last also season. played top nine minutes most of the time because Josh Levo was up and down. And I mean, Tyler Pitlick was the other guy that was on that fourth line with him. I, I just, the three guys, four, if we're going to add in Blaze slash neighbors. I think that's the biggest thing is that they're going to have some consistency. Yeah. I mean, look, Nolachari is a better player than Oscar Sundquist. I'll be the first to say that. Like he's blocking shots. Although I do think people don't give Sonny enough credit for his ability to block shots and Absolutely. put his body in front. He's going to play like Nolachari. It's just a matter of a, does he stay healthy and then it comes down to the consistency on the wing and frankly I mean look Tyler Pitlick was good for the Blues last year because they didn't have much else but Tyler Pitlick Nathan Walker the guys that were consistent fourth liners when they needed Toropchenko and Barbashev to be up you're going to have Richie, Neighbors, Blay, Sonny, and Toropchenko, five guys competing for three spots. That's a really good fourth line. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues off tonight, back in action tomorrow night against the Blackhawks. Pre-game coverage with Alex will begin for that one tomorrow right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. 6.30 is the time for that. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Juncture alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. T Bone, I want to start with this. Were you old enough to understand to watch Shrek when you were a kid? Yeah, I've seen Shrek. But did you watch it when it came out, or is this something that you saw after the fact? I, I can't remember what year it came out, honestly. I want to say after it came out. I don't think I saw it like Alex, in do you theaters. remember what year it came out? Oh, 2001. <laughs> Look at is you right? right on, yeah. Then I definitely saw it after. Yeah. Lord Farquhar. I loved Shrek. I did too Donkey? as a kid. Donkey! And in the morning, we're making, I'm making waffles. Love that Great movie. movie. All-time great movie. Um, the reason why I bring this up, Alex, is because the home from the movie Shrek is now posted on Airbnb for you to stay It's in. not a real thing. It was a cartoon. It's in the Scottish Hills. It's in far, far away. That's not a real place. Shrek's Swamp is a stumpy, secluded haven fit for solitude-seeking ogre. It's the first time ever a handful of the biggest fans, thanks to yours truly, are available to go into the swamp. Never mind the beware signs. They're just for decoration. Yeah, cool. I can't wait to go stay at a swamp on vacation. This is stupid. No, I'm in. This is stupid. If I'm going to stay at a swamp, I'm going to stay somewhere where there's bed bugs. I would go to Scotland for this. Yeah. Scotland's beautiful. If we could get a group of people to to go out there for this. But not to stay at a Shrek swamp Airbnb. But it's not like in a swamp area. I mean, it's Scotland, man. It's not like you're going to Gainesville. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're not going to the Everglades here. (laughs) I might be. No, I'm out on this. This this If you could go to any house area, whatever real or fictional from a TV show or a movie, what would you choose? What's the spot that you would go to? Like, are you going Ooh, to... Man. T-Bone's probably going to some one. nerdy place like a Star Wars Galactic. Lord of the Rings, Hobbit Hole. I was thinking a star... They got the cantina bar in, uh, I think the... What's Disney? Disney World, yeah. Someone just, Is it Disney World or yeah. Disneyland? Someone Disney just World. texted your stupid I mean, and misspelled your. That's, that got him. Hey, I, I know, understand T-Bone. your pain. I know. Um, universal, your. And I, I don't... 
I don't know. I don't know if there's like a spot that like I'd want to go to. Pandora would be wild. From Avatar? Oh, yeah. I hated Avatar, so. Really? Yeah. That's a good movie. The Way of Water was actually better than I expected. Yeah. It took us a while to get to it. I finally watched it about a month ago. No. Can I live? Movie. Ooh, living underwater, that'd be yeah. fun. Would you would you want to be above or below the water? Like below would you want to be the world that you saw in Avatar the first one or the Way of Water? Oh. Actually, Michael, I would go the second one because I saw what that looked like. That looked nice. Oh, somebody mentioned the the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Ooh, I do not want to go there. I saw it happen. Oompa scared the hell out of me. Uh, I hated that movie. The that Home Alone house me. in winter would be fun. Oh, that's good. That'd be that's a really a real cool one. one. That's an option. Yeah, that'd be Which a really one? cool one. The Home Alone house. You've never oh, seen Home Alone? No, no. Okay, I didn't. First, <laughs> never seen no. first I thought you said like Home Improvement. I was like the ones that we always see like in those decorating shows. This makes more sense. <laughs> he was so mad. Alex was like, hold on. I can't do a show with you. I've seen Home Alone. I've seen Home Alone. It's fine. Um, like the actual building that the office was filmed in would be cool, too. I'd like to do that. That'd be awesome. That checks out. That would be cool. I would stay there. Yeah. The house from The Sopranos would be cool. Oh, yeah. Well, any anything like that would be sick because you're talking about a mansion. Have a pet duck. Or Goose. Goose, that's what it was. Are you referencing Sopranos that you said is a stupid yeah. show? Because that's not allowed. I remember he had a pet goose or something in like the first episode. That's about all I remember. It wasn't a pet, first of all. Oh, it was just a goose? It was, it was the birds that... It's a metaphor, man. This whole thing. Uh, oh. Have you ever seen the movie Scream? Yeah. Stu's house would be awesome. Okay. That was a big freaking house. That'd be cool. Man. It's kind of weird that I picked a movie where there's like, you know, a bunch of killing in it, but hey, let's go. People Someone really don't like Avatar. It's stupid. What? <laughs> you aren't alone a in this terrible regard. movie. Yeah. A terrible What's movie. A, it's a famous movie. It's old, and I've only seen it like once or twice, but it's based in the tree in Disney <laughs> this World. This is going to be like a 2015 show. No, 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 no. It's like from <laughs> the seven. White? No. <laughs> They're, they're, Are you talking about the tree? animal tree? Yeah. That's from uh, Lion King. No, 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 no. Isn't that what that's based there's off of, the tree, Lion King? There's a movie in the 70s or 80s that was made, probably older than that, actually, that there's a tree that the family lived in. And I think Swiss it's Swiss Family Disney Robinson? World. Is that what it was? Yeah, it's not in Disney World. Yes, it is. It's a movie. What are you? No, that, that tree's represented in Disney oh, World. Oh, they sent a great one, The Shining Hotel. Well, hold on, oh, we haven't figured out terrifying. mine yet. Oh, I would do that in a heartbeat. Far from the tree? Dude, I, I think you're no making something, you're you're making something up. Oh, come on, it's a real thing. The tree is in Disney World, I'm the pretty sure. The Tree of Life. Is what you're talking about. Yeah, it's that's in from, Animal Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, that's from... But it's not from... Lion King. No, no. It's not. It's from... Are you really questioning a dude who, like, lives yes. Disney right now? Yeah, you live in current Disney. I live in the past. <laughs> that tree would be fun to live I'm telling in. you, I'm pretty Bugs sure... Life? No, no it wasn't it. a tree no. of life. No, I, there, I, I'll have to figure this out. I, I'm telling you... You're There incorrect. is a movie... A text line! Come on! Somebody's got to know what I'm talking about. There is a movie where a family gets stranded on an island and they end Treasure up living island? in a tree. No, there's not a movie where it there is. gets I've stranded on it. an island and lives in a tree. Hold on. I got to text my parents. <laughs> someone They're said, not doing anything Someone right said The Conjuring House. That's another good one. That's go. a real spot to go check out. I'm a, I'm a, all about those like horror film, horror movie houses. That would be pretty cool. The Shining might be my number one though. Like I've told Katie, I want to like take a trip to Colorado so that we can go see that hotel. So you're super into like horror films, yeah. Big into horror films. This is my time of year, baby. I've already started them. Really? What's yeah. your what's your, like? We're hanging out with Alex for Halloween. You get three horror films to show us. Oh, okay. Um, 
the original Halloween. Okay. Uh, the original Conjuring. And then The Exorcist. Those would be my three. That's a pretty good list. Those are good. How many of those have you seen? Uh, I've seen The Exorcist. What are the other ones you said? Um, Conjuring. Conjuring and I've seen the Conjuring. Halloween. I've not seen Halloween. Okay. Really? I just want to put on. I your don't list. like. That's I don't like one. horror movies. Swiss Family Robinson. Robinson is That's what, what I originally saying. said. But I don't. They weren't stranded on an island. They lived in a tree. Yeah, but that. Uh, I thought they were but stranded on the island. that's not what the Animal Kingdom tree is based off of. The Animal Kingdom sure tree is. is not, no, they Th- have that a, tree is in Disney World. They have a Swiss Family Robinson like tree house in Disney World, but that's yeah, not Swiss the Animal Family Kingdom Robinson tree. Swiss Family Robinson is a movie. Oh, I, I know of, what the tree. Yeah, you're thinking of a very different you're thinking area of in the, Disney World. It's the a, tree that you're thinking of is in Magic Kingdom. It's like a tree house. It's on Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. The tree yeah, house you're thinking area of the you're tree thinking with all the animal different. faces on it. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, but it, my tree is in Disney World. Yeah, but you weren't talking about the I, same one. I would live there. That looks all nice. Right. <laughs> Coming up next. What just happened? Have the Brewers overtaken the Cardinals of the cla- as the class of the NL Central? And if so, how long do we expect that to last? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, you've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys want to, you can check us out on YouTube. It's at 101 ESPN STL. Alex, the Brewers once again won the NL Central last night. They have now done so three times in the last five years. The Cardinals have done so twice in that stretch. If you're looking at playoff berths since the 2018 season, Brewers have been to the postseason five times. Cardinals have been to the postseason four times. Alex, when you think about the class of the NL Central right now, do you think that it belongs to the Brewers or the Cardinals? Is it weird that I feel like it doesn't belong to either of them and it's like still an open open division? Because I, I just don't view the Brewers in terms of dominating that division. Like when I think of teams that own a division, I think of the Atlanta Braves in the East. I think for the longest time, it was the Yankees in their division, Tampa Bay now in their division. Like those are the teams you think of. When I think of the NL Central, I think of three teams that are trying to take it and run with it. And maybe it's just because it's sustained time and it's one season. Cardinals get it one season. Milwaukee has it. But if you were to like tell me who owns it now, I still would pick the Cardinals. And I know that seems weird because they're awful, but I don't think Milwaukee is going to be this good moving forward. I think Milwaukee is going to have to hit a rebuild and they're going to fall out of it. I I think I agree with Alex. I, I don't know if there is. I wouldn't side with anybody is the class the NL Central, because when I look at the Milwaukee Brewers, when I think back to when the Cardinals were the quote unquote class of the NL Central, I think of a team that had success over a sustained period of time. And not only had sustained period of success in the regular season, but had some success in the postseason as well. Brewers have not had both sustained period of success of winning the division constantly. They have not had success in the playoffs. And when I think back to the Cardinals and, and when they were the class of the division, what was their MO? It was out-drafting people, out-developing people, being good with pitching, good defense, and then had an offense. When I think Milwaukee, like, what do you think of as the Milwaukee Brewers? All of those things by the offense? I, I would say... I, see, I don't even know if I'd say the drafting developing part because they haven't done it on offense. I think they've done a fine job with their pitching, but they haven't done it on the offensive side because if if we were going to say that they had a good offense, it would partly be because they developed it too. So I don't think that they 
class should be classified as the class of the division. I, I think it's still up in the air. I, I don't know if anybody's really taken that reign since the Cardinals dropped off or outside of the Cubs, too, I should say. Cubs had it there for a little bit when they had their core. Now I don't know if anybody truly has it. I don't know if there is someone that is the class of the NL Central. I think it's the Brewers. I do. Um, over Since the 2018 season, and I'm, I'm going back to that because that was the, the faded off season when the Cardinals ended up trading for um, – Marcelo Zuna and the Brewers ended up trading for Christian Yelich. It's kind of the point of delineation between these two organizations of one going in the right direction, the other going in the wrong direction, right? And it, it was a sign of what was to come. The Brewers were patient. They waited for the right guy to become available and they bet big on the correct guy. They have since done that on multiple other pieces. You look at their catching situation right now. They got the right Contreras. He's cheaper. He's Pretty much same type of player, and they got him for a little bit less in terms of like them having to give up capital with prospects, Cardinals having to give up serious money for for Wilson. It's just been a consistent theme of the Brewers winning their trades, the Cardinals losing their deals over the last six years or so. You look at the records for these two teams. Cardinals have owned 461 games since the start of the 2018 season. The Brewers have won 483 games in that stretch. You look at the postseason success. I could have sit here and pretend like the Brewers have had a ton of it, but they both went to the NLCS, and the Brewers have a chance to go on another run this season where the Cardinals will not be able to go to that. Cardinals, meanwhile, have not gotten out of the wild card round in any other year in this stretch. At least the Brewers did get to the DS in 2021. Now, they lost three games to one in that stretch, but they got there nonetheless. I think right now the class of the NL Central is the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, this is where I do agree with you guys. I think that's changing. I think that the Cardinals, as soon as next year, could get right back to the top of the NL Central. And I don't think it's going to be that hard to do. I think if you go out there and have the offseason that most people are demanding at this point the Cardinals to have, I think that's what it takes. Go out there and get one of the top pitchers available. Go out there and get one secondary pitcher that's available. And then go out there and redo, overhaul your bullpen. I think you're right there with the Brewers. Hell, I think you're better than the Brewers. I also think this is the end of the Brewers run. And we have seen this over the years where... You'll have a stretch of time where the Cubs were the top threat to the Cardinals. You have a stretch of time where it was the Pirates. You had a stretch of time where it was the Reds. Now it is the Brewers. The one constant, up until this season at least, has been that the Cardinals are right in that mix. And I expect that to be the case once again in the future. I think the next iteration of this NL Central is the Cardinals and Cubs once again battling for supremacy in the division. Yeah, I just, man, it's just so weird because you're absolutely right in everything you just said with Milwaukee and how they always seem to be at the top and always fighting. It just seems weird to say that they own the division when it feels like they never run away with it. You know, like it's always a competition for first place in the central. But I mean, when you've crowned it at least the last five years and you've had more success in the Cardinals, it's hard to deny that. I do agree though. Milwaukee is probably going to lose Craig council. They're probably going to trade away Corbin Burns. They don't really have the next wave, at least on the pitching side coming up. I don't, I think Milwaukee is going to be headed more towards what Cincinnati was the last five years than what they've been the last five years. And I'm with you. I think it's the Cardinals. I think it's the Cubs. And I do believe the Cincinnati Reds are going to be in that conversation for the next three to five years. Yeah. I think the Reds will be in the conversation as well with the Cubs and the Cardinals. And I think because right, I think the Cardinals have the opportunity to take, basically take this open window and run through it and just get a huge head start on the Chicago Cubs because I think the Cubs are going to spend, but it's going to come down to, you You talked about the pivot point with the Brewers and the Cardinals. 
when it came to trades. It's going to come down to who spends their money wiser, the Cardinals or the Cubs, and I think that will be what determines it. We'll see about the Cincinnati Reds. I love the young talent that they have. We'll see how their pitching continues to develop. And, we'll and if see they're about, willing to spend. Yeah, that too. Which they typically don't. <laughs> I, I think Milwaukee will become arguably the class. Because, again, I still don't view them as a class of the Central. Well, maybe I should. Um, but the postseason run this year does it, right? If they were to go out there, like, let's say they get to no, the because they got to keep the group together then. That, that would be my argument. I'm talking about for, I'm, I'm ta- I guess we're talking about two different things. I'm talking about looking back. You're talking about looking forward. I agree in the future it requires more. They have to be able to continue to do this over time. But if you if we look back on the 2018 to 2023 stretch run for the NL Central, I think it will be hard to deny that the best team in the NL Central in that stretch, if the Milwaukee Brewers get back to another NLCS, was the Brewers. Because in that stretch, they will then have, other than the 2020 season, finished in the top two in the division basically every single season, will have made it to multiple NLCS appearances, made it to the NLDS one other time, and meanwhile, in that stretch of time, the Cardinals got to the NLCS once and never made it out of the wild card any other season. I, I just find it really hard to argue that they are not the class of the but division I, I, in this six-year stretch if they if they end up doing I that. think that relies solely on what they do in the postseason. I, yeah. I think if they get bounced in the wild card, they're they're the exact same as the Cardinals. You did a CS in the wild saying, card. I'm saying they have to go out there and make I, that. They and I just don't the believe CS. they will. Yeah, and I guess that's where my thinking is. I just I have a tough time seeing them getting to the CS. Now they do, yes, then I think it is a different conversation. Um, but I I think when you look at what the Milwaukee Brewers are, like it, if they can't get to the CS, then I don't know if they ever had that period where they were the leader because they, they never keep the group together. Now, where it will become an interesting conversation is they have shown the ability to kind of quickly redo the team on the fly. Now, can they continue to do that? I think at some point your luck just runs out, and I think Milwaukee's getting They're close to that to point. They're trying to what the Cardinals have done. Yeah. They're and, building 91 teams consistently. Yeah, and I and we saw how that ended with the St. Louis Cardinals. Bingo. And I think that's where the luck is going to run out with the Milwaukee Brewers, too. Coming up next, does Tory Crew gain anything with this Card- or with this Blues fan base based on his comments from yesterday? I honestly think he should. We'll discuss it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. <laughs> I wish we had that reaction hey, on Tino, air. Go get, go get yeah. him. Go get him. Rocky-o. Go get Rock. So there's some big news that just dropped in the NBA. We'll get to the um, Tory Krug comments here in just a moment. Tanner's going to go get Matt Rocchio because he's the biggest NBA guy on the station. <laughs> I so really we, wish we had that reaction on the air. We got to get, we got to <laughs> get Rock's immediate reaction. So the news in the NBA is that the Milwaukee Bru- Milwaukee Bucks just said, bleep it, we're all in. A T-bone went the wrong way. <laughs> T-bone, he's doing that on purpose. He just said, I'm going to go to the bathroom instead. The Milwaukee Bucks just went all in, Alex. They have traded for Damian Lillard. They have done so as part of a three-team deal that does include the Phoenix Suns as well. DeAndre Ayton, I, I think this is really interesting uh, for Portland, actually. DeAndre Ayton is going to be going up to Portland as part of this deal from Phoenix. Milwaukee is going to be giving up in this deal some unprotected first, some pick swaps, stuff like that, and then some basically spare parts. I love this. I'm so freaking pumped. I absolutely love it that they are going to go out there and make this kind of a deal to go all in on a guy that is the best player in the history of their franchise in Giannis. 
it's perfect. The other thing that this does is it avoids Dame going to their biggest threat in the East with the Miami Heat, who were considered to be the biggest contender for Dame prior to this one. Alex, your thoughts? I'm so pumped for this one. Multiple reasons. One, when you get such a star athlete like Giannis, who wants competition and wants competitive players with his team, he wants to see his team say, let's go win just went the best way you could go in terms of making this trade for Giannis and building up the rest of that squad. But on top of it too, I'm pumped for Dame because being on Portland where the, the team has been fine. And I, I mean, love that he's going to another small market. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. But I love the fact that he's going to a team that just said, bleep it. We want to win and let's get him." Whereas he was on a team for so long that never wanted to do that for him. You know what else forced this to happen? Giannis. Yeah. Giannis put pressure on the front office and said, hey, the best player, I, I want to be in Milwaukee. I love it here. But if this is not going to be a team that we continue to build up to be a championship contender, then I'm going to have to go elsewhere. And the the Bucks front office responded to that by saying, all right, let's can make sure that this is a championship contending team for you, a championship contending organization. He was eligible for his contract extension, I think a couple of days ago officially was when he could technically be resigned. I wonder if we see as part of this, them get some kind of confirmation from him that he's going to be there long term. Rocchio. Oh. You're the biggest NBA guy on this. I wish you could station. recreate your reaction when we told you Milwaukee. I, I asked Rocchio while we were in break, have you seen the news yet? He said, no, I haven't seen it. What, what happened? I said, we just got the Dame trade. He said, well, where'd he go? Is he going to Toronto? I said, no, keep guessing. And he named like 12 different teams in the Eastern Conference. Did not name <laughs> the Milwaukee the Buccaneers. <laughs> yeah. Your response now that we have uh, seen the news that he's going to Milwaukee is what? This is insane. I mean, this is. I mean, you talk about a small. You said a small market team, but with with some new money. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the, with the new ownership group, goes and makes the big move after all the stink that Giannis kind of made. I also think it's funny that yesterday Drew Holiday uh, told the Milwaukee Journal Constitution, uh, "I can't wait. To, I want to retire as a bucket uh, as a buck. I think well, we're building something great was here. It I think it's going to continue." Yes. And so <laughs> was it James Nail that was DFA <laughs> yeah, on, on his birthday? birthday. Yeah. So it's an, it's an insane trade, but also I think the just. What happened in the NBA as well, because I think the Aiton part of this is also going to, you know, that's I mean, that's huge. The fact that the Suns just kind of changed their yeah. yep. core and, and said, you know, listen, the, the problems between, you know, our, our one of our better players and our coach and, the, you know, the other good guys we got to get it out of here. We're, we're, we're clearing the board there. So, I mean, I think really two of the best contenders in the NBA got better today. Obviously the Bucks, and I really do think the Suns got a little bit better too in the West, and that's an interesting factor. <laughs> the Suns got deeper. I was going to say, I, I don't the know Suns if they got suck. better, but they definitely got deeper, and that was one of their biggest issues last year at the end of the season is they had zero depth. They were like Miami Heat with LeBron, where you're bringing dudes in off of the street. It's like, ooh, this is going to get old really quick. And if you have any injuries to your stars, you cannot withstand them. Um, so I do think they got a little deeper with this kind of a deal. T-Bone, you're a slight NBA guy. You love yeah. your Pacers, yeah. and you're Another a slight NBA walking. guy. He's a homer for the you, Pacers. Your thoughts on this? I, I think it's a great trade for the Milwaukee Bucks, and I, I love the fact that to what you said, Giannis said just a, a week ago or so. They hey, call them the Buccaneers, the Bucks, of course. Sorry. Yeah. Come on, what a NBA bot. guy. Bot. NBA guy, unbelievable. Uh, but I, I love the fact that they went out and did this because I didn't. there was no reporting that Milwaukee was, was interested in Damian Lillard. This kind of came in, just fly under the radar, get the deal done, and I think that's the part that I kind of like most about this was they felt the pressure, as you said, from Giannis, and they said, all right, let's go and let's get it done because the reports last, I think last night or two nights ago, was, oh, Toronto's in this. And I was like, okay, what is Toronto doing? And it turns out they're not even involved in this deal 
at all. And Milwaukee just said, we got to go do this because we need to keep the franchise icon, the franchise player here in Milwaukee. And I expect to see Giannis sign a contract extension now with the Milwaukee Bucks. And they're going to be one of the top teams to beat and be an NBA title favorite. One of the biggest criticisms, and I think it's a fair one, of the NBA over the last 15 years or so has been that the dominant markets, so Boston, L.A., New York, they're the teams that matter, and you can't get stars to these other markets, right? You just you can't find a way to pull them away from the top markets in the sport. That is no longer the case. Denver is considered to be the best team in the NBA right now. It's not a massive market by any stretch of the imagination. Milwaukee is now going to be the title favorite going into the season, especially as a team coming out of the Eastern Conference. Cleveland is a really good squad right now. Memphis is one of the best teams in the NBA right now. Sacramento, one of the best teams. Phoenix, not considered to be like an L.A. type of a market, one of the best teams in the NBA as well. I think the league is in a really good spot right now, in part because you're starting to see some of these lower-level markets, at least in the NBA, rise up to a level that we have not seen in recent years. And I think that's good for the league to have a little bit of this turnover. Take notes, baseball. Baseball, the major criticism of baseball, the small market teams do not spend money. And uh, this well, isn't this is necessarily spending money. This is, I know. But let's Caps be honest. Be baseball. Small, okay. small baseball teams should be able to pull off not just deals like this, but be willing to spend money and be willing to spend significant capital to build a contender. St. Louis could be Milwaukee. You could be that. You could be the team that has a couple of future Hall of Famers on your roster that you're building around, that they put a little bit of pressure on you to go out there and spend the money or make the big trade this offseason. Your version of Giannis is Nolan Arenado. He's the one that can put the pressure Who on you. Who also say, called out the front office multiple times to make significant well, moves to make well, the team better. They, they tricked him into opting yeah. in. Well, and so. then they sold him at a nice dinner in the offseason and said, <laughs> Wayno's back. They're, who's their version of Drew Holiday? Donovan. Is it? I don't, I don't know. know who they're Gorman, maybe Donovan or Edmund. The piece that you don't want to part with, but you're like, ah, got to do it. Donovan. Do it. Donovan who or... said they want to retire here in St. Louis recently. Anybody? Uh, Michaelis wants to be here. Long Wilson Contreras. Right, Michaelis gone. Uh, Contreras probably the answer. Oh, poor, <laughs> poor Wilson. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the value around the league. All right. Final thoughts, Rocchio. It's just like you said, the big thing here is, is the complexion of the NBA being changed here. Cause it's not just that they, they traded for a big name guy. It's that they're going to get the second contract out of the best player in the NBA. And again, that's not something we ever thought that the mid markets could do. In fact, it looked like basketball was going to change and move just mountains to make their cap work so that smaller market teams could extend their guys. So I love the fact that Milwaukee said, screw all that. We're probably going to have to go to the luxury tax for at least maybe one season, but we're going to keep our guy here for the long term. Giannis is playing in a Bucks jersey his entire career, and I love seeing a mid-market team make that move, even if, again, it is one with new money that can pay a luxury tax. The fact that you can make it work, and if you win a championship and you get the, the good young player at the right time, that's a good thing for the NBA in a long-term view. It's Matt Rocchio. His show talks more NBA than anybody else on the station. Amen You'll hear that. his thoughts with Kerry Davis tomorrow morning from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Thanks for hopping in, uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Thanks for having me. I'm going to it. It's Matt Rocchio uh, hopping in I the love studio. that, man. The Denver Nuggets and the Milwaukee Bucks are the best teams in the NBA. What a time to be alive. Imagine being DeAndre Ayton where you were on a team that was in the NBA Finals and you complain because you don't like the market. And, well, welcome to Portland with no Damian Lillard. Portland's nice. Have, well, Portland's great. The team might not be. Well, I don't think he's going to be there. I think, I think they're going to move again. 
I'm curious to see what Portland ends up doing here. They, they've got a really good young roster. Like they're not going to be a good team. Don't get me wrong, but they should trade him to the two, Bucks three too. years from now. They, them and Utah are setting themselves up for a, a, a bright future. They, the Phoenix Suns were in this spot like three years ago, and then they got good really quickly. It can turn over quicker than anybody expects it to in the NBA. You just got to you got to find that one guy that can kind of make things work for you. Um, for the Suns, they ended up, I mean, Devin Booker was the guy that became a legit superstar in the NBA. People wanted to play with him, and now we see what they are. Hashtag fear the deer. New team. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bring out the Zamboni! It's time for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline right now. Coming off of last night's preseason game, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, was on the call. I was able to stream that one over on the Bally Sports app while I was listening to it right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, my man. How you doing today? Doing good, BK. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So let's start big picture here, Curbs. What was your biggest takeaway from the preseason win last night, the big one in the battle for the blue here in St. Louis? St. Louis reigns supreme. Yeah, probably nothing all that shocking from a takeaway standpoint, other than I think it was good to get some of those guys, the veteran players, in their first game. You know, it, the game looked like it had that, you know, 70 to 80% you know speed and you know, a Christmas type feel to it. So classic preseason game. A um, couple of things that did jump off of that Malcolm Subban, who looked apparently was very good from those that I talked to that were at the game in Wichita. I, I thought he looked really good in uh, the game last night as well. And look, that Malcolm Subban isn't going to single-handedly, you know, play really well in the preseason and oust uh, Joel Hoffer or Jordan Bennington, but he is definitely going to make himself uh, known that he's good to go and, if there's an injury, he wants the opportunity. And so I, I thought that looked that looked pretty good. Um, Craig Berube talking about wanting to see more shots from the blue line. I think that's a mentality that we can keep an eye on as we see the Blues play the Blackhawks tomorrow. And I don't expect to see, you know, a, a huge uh, NHL lineup for tomorrow, more than maybe the younger guys making the trip. But the reality of it is, is if – Craig Berube's making a comment of, I really thought we could have had more shots from the blue line get through. I, I think that's where you start to see if the focus of, of the style of play that he's looking for comes through. So those are a couple things I took off of last night. Is that going to be an emphasis this season, Curves? Because Craig Berube is a qual- quality over quantity type of coach and when it comes to shots. But him mentioning the focus of the players going to the front of the net and looking for those rebounds, are we going to see a lot more shots on goal from the blue line this year? There is nothing new about this approach to Craig Berube's coaching and the style that he thinks that it takes to win. Get to the dirty areas, get to the front of the net. If your forwards are getting to the front of the net, and so far through the three preseason games, the majority of the goals you've seen scored have been those kind of grinded out down low type of goals. You've got to get the shots there. To get the shots there, the defensemen have to funnel the puck to the front of the net. 
I know they had a decent number of shots blocked last night. Um, yeah, it's going to be a focus of this team. And it, look, it's even Craig Baruch, look, it, it's not so much to me quality over quantity. He just doesn't want players taking a shot to take a shot. If you have possession in the offensive zone and you're cycling it down low and you're wearing the other team down, just to put it to the net on a shot that really has no chance of going on that the other goaltender can save and maybe cover it up and allow his team to change, he doesn't want you wasting those types of things. But even he said last night, we did not get enough to the front of that. Analytics and all the other stuff, percentages put into the mix. You do need a certain number of shots to increase your chances of scoring some goals. And 14 over 60 minutes is typically not going to be enough to win. So plus look at this offense uh, or look at the defensive players you have. Okay, 50 points last season. Tori Krug does. Colton Pareko. There's your top four. Callie Rosen's clearly shown that he can do it. Perunovic has shown that he can do it. I mean, you've got the ability. And, and I, to be a, an attacking style team with that type of pressure that you need to put to create some chaos in the offensive zone, your defensemen not only have to be willing to take some shots, they've got to get them through to the net. Curves, we're almost exactly two weeks away from the start of the regular season for the Blues. And if we're being honest, there's not a ton of like roster battles on this team. And what I mean by that is guys that can play their way on or off of the roster. There's competition internally for playing time, but the roster spots are, are mostly secured, it feels like, at this point. One spot that I am curious about, though, is Nick Ritchie, who was in that game last night. You got to see him uh, with the fight in that one. He was removed from the game because he didn't have his fight strap on, and that is a disappointing way for it to end for him. When you look at his opportunity here in St. Louis, Curbs, do you think he is somebody that can or will play his way into that fourth-line role here? Uh, I, I think yes on all fronts uh, to that. And and actually, there are you know that – here's the question that you're going to have, Okay. They're, they're, I believe Doug Armstrong has really created the competition by bringing in somebody like Nick Ritchie. And even if he had not, you are still going to have to have a forward or two. And let's assume everybody's healthy. You, you, before you put your final roster together, you were going to have to put a forward or two plus a defenseman or something on waivers if everybody's healthy because – You've got guys on one-way contracts, and I don't think you have enough roster spots for them. And so I think, to be honest with you, I think anywhere from the entire fourth line is up for grabs. Because, look, you, you wanted Jake Neighbors to play, and, and yes, not just theoretically, but in practicality. And, I'm, and this is not a comment on how Jake Neighbors' camp is going in any way, using him as a, a name holder here. But if Jake Neighbors' camp isn't what it needs to be, you know, and they, they could still send him down to the minors. Well, he could go down to the minors, or he doesn't have to play. He could be he could be in the press box, and that opens up opportunities for somebody else. I don't think the fourth line, for example, is in any way defined. There's a Nathan Walker, a Nick Ritchie, Mackenzie McEachern, Alexi Torovchenko, and there there's a whole slew of guys. So I believe that competition is quite real. And somebody like Nick Ritchie, because he's shown the ability to score goals as well. Plus, play a Craig Berube typical style at the age that he's at, below 30. I, I think there's a great opportunity for him. And frankly, I didn't have a chance today to ask him why the tie down wasn't 
upside down, whether he forgot or what, or didn't think he was going to get into a fight. I don't know, but he missed an opportunity then to come back out and get more shifts. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a really legit chance for Nick Ritchie to do something. But keep in mind, for the Blues, because he's on a PTO, for the Blues to sign him, Somebody's got to go out, and that's where that competition is. So that's where I wanted to have a follow-up with you, Curbs. And we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You mentioned the player that I wanted to ask you about, which is Jake Neighbors, because if Nick Ritchie makes this roster and he's on that fourth line, potentially with Sonny and Torpchenko like he was last night, and then I would assume they see Sammy Blay as that third-line winger right now. Maybe that ends up changing over the next couple of weeks, but right now it appears to be that way. That does leave neighbors potentially without a spot in the top four lines of this NHL roster. Is there a scenario where he ends up starting out the season, at least down in the AHL and is your first call up if there's a significant injury? Uh, Yeah, I would say I would never say no, there's not a scenario because, you know, the the players had to play their way on and something Larry Plow always was very adamant about was asset management. You know, if you if you think you want to preserve some depth, and you know, th- there's a player that even though they may deserve to be on your roster, maybe they maybe they're good enough to be on your roster, but you don't want to lose another guy for the time being because it's the early part of the season or whatever. Yeah, sometimes that could happen because of asset management. I don't anticipate it happening, but um, at the same time, still in and out of the lineup and waiting for and earning the consistency aspect of it could play a role in it. So. All those situations and scenarios uh, that, that you're alluding to, Brandon, I, th- I think are very real for him and maybe another player too. Is it v- more valuable for him to be that 13th forward up here, Curbs, or go down to Springfield and get top-line minutes in your mind? Uh, it's a great question still. I think sometimes that varies. Uh, my, I think if you're going to consider yourself a team in transition and the transition time is a little bit, you know, more of the priority than getting him the reps up here, I think is going to be really important. Um, and, but so look, if you're going to carry, let's say you carry two extra forwards, you know, that's, that that's where, you know, the other guys playing, you know, could be in and out of the four, the line on the fourth line, uh, a Walker, a McKechn, whomever. And then you're putting, you know, when there's opportunity, you're moving Jake neighbors up the lineup based on how he's playing down the lineup, out of the lineup, how that works. I see him being part of that rotation that the players themselves will define. Look, Doug Armstrong met with the players and he said the same thing to the players that he pretty much said when he had his presser the day that camp opened up. And he said, I look at about 10 spots. Everything else is for grabs and the equity that has been earned over recent years is gone. So, I mean, if you feel comfortable just because you have a contract, don't feel comfortable because somebody could come in here and he challenged people to come in here and take somebody's job and and I, I believe he's being really open and honest about those opportunities. Curbs, we appreciate the time, man. It was great to hear you guys back on the call last night for the Blues versus the Blue Jackets. Looking forward to tomorrow night's game between the Blues and the Blackhawks. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. See you, guys. It's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. One thing that he said there at the end, Alex, that I found interesting, he mentioned the fact that they could have uh, two extra forwards. Not disagreeing with him necessarily. I would be surprised by that. I, I, I don't think too. they're going to take two extra forwards into the season. I think they'll take the one because you have so many defensemen right now and you have more questions about who can actually sustain that playing time on the defensive side of things. I, It sounds crazy because of what the expectations are that have been placed upon Jake Neighbors. I, I don't think it's outlandish to believe he's going to start the year in the AHL at all. 
I'm starting to wonder if that is actually the most likely scenario for yeah, him. I mean, or, or unless they're okay with him being that 13th forward, if they're okay with that. Sure. Keep him up. Yeah. But I, I, that I think is going to be what they have to weigh. That really comes down to do guys play well enough that you don't want to lose them through waivers. And does Jake neighbor show you enough that says, okay, he doesn't need more reps as a top line guy. He can still grow while he's playing third or fourth line minutes. Here's the thing though. I do wonder if they carry 14 forwards. This was the discussion we had last week. As much as I'm with you, like you've got a ton of defensemen. What are you going to do? Let's say that Oscar Sundquist has some type of injury. You're going to need another centerman. But you can just go ahead and t- like you can call up a guy. Maybe, but then you got more waivers that play into this. Whereas if, if you keep one of them up. Well, I mean, the only way that you have the waivers that come into it, the, the guy that you're calling up is most likely Nikita Alexandrov in that spot. But what right? I'm saying or, is the defenseman you're going to have to send down, depending on how long the player is out for, because when you bring somebody up, but the, salary cap, on the, intro, but the salary cap plays into it as well, to where if you don't have enough wiggle room to bring up that player with your salary cap, then you can't shuffle that around. Sure. And on the eight defenseman side of it, you got to take waivers into account with Callie Rosen. And I think Tyler Tucker was like that fringe player. I think he has to go through. Waivers. I do too. I was talking to Ryan Smith, the Springfield Thunderbirds play-by-play guy. And he said the same thing. Who are you sending down? Or I'm sorry. Who are you keeping on here with eight defensemen that you don't? Those two. Or Perunovic. One, like, well, that's the question. Those then are you, the three. Then you have to ask the question, does it benefit them in terms of growth of being up here or playing top minutes in the minors? Like, like I would keep Perunovic down in the AHL from what we've seen so far. There's two weeks left. He could change that. But I think right yeah. now that that would be the way that I would go about I, it. I'm with and you I there. Would just, I would play the roster management game. And then it becomes a question of, is it more valuable to keep Nikita Alexandrov up as that 13th forward? I would. Or Jake Neighbors? I, I think I would. I have higher hopes, expectations for Jake Neighbors long term than I do for Nikita Alexandrov. And so I would have less of a concern about Nikita Alexandrov sitting in the press box than I would about Jake Neighbors sitting in the press it, box. It always comes down to the waivers thing. And like, do you want to risk losing one of McEachern, Walker, or Callie Rosen or Tyler Tucker. Those are the four guys that you're going to have to debate internally. Yeah, Eckern and, and Walker. We've seen what they look like here. They're not difference makers. You, you went out and you brought in fourth liners for a reason. This is no disrespect to any of those guys that you're talking about, Alex. But the Blues are trying to win with numbers on the defensive core. They're trying to win with talent on that fourth line. Alexei Torpchenko should play basically every single night that he's healthy for. You talked about Sunquist and how much he changes the complexion of that fourth line. If he's healthy, every night he should be in there. Absolutely. And if they decide to sign Nick Ritchie, that is a guy that should be in there almost every single night. So there's your options. They, they just they sit and they stick, and that's it. And then you have a 13th guy. It's kind of like the Cardinals outfield situation this year, right, where we were just waiting for somebody to run with their opportunity. That's what you have potentially with this fourth line. They're running with their opportunity, and it makes those other players that you're talking about expendable for the Blues. Yeah. That hasn't happened on the blue line. Yeah. You haven't had guys that have run with those opportunities, so you keep the numbers there while you allow your – your fourth line players to really figure it out. Yeah. And that's what it's going to come down to. And that's why I I would imagine tomorrow is going to be a large chunk of the younger players like the Bulldukes and Deans. And it's going to be a large chunk of the fringe players. Um, You have to send a certain amount of NHL games played in preseason games, but tomorrow is going to be the final audition for a lot of guys before that first round of cuts. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, the fast lane is going to be live from two to six on Friday at auto centers, Nissan and Herculaneum for their huge anniversary sale. You can check out 750 new and used vehicles of 
almost every make and model in stock, discounted, ready for sale. Plus, spin to get an additional $1,000 off. You can register to win a new Polaris ATV and so much more. The Fastlane Live Friday from Auto Center's Nissan Anniversary Sale in Herculaneum. BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. on BK. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. I'm going to be out tomorrow. Alex and uh, T-Bone has me from 11 Jeez. to 2. I'll be back in on Friday to make my fantastic, no doubt about it, definitely going to win picks for the week. Dude, not only do you have to win out, but we have to lose out. So I would just accept no, the you loss. You guys could each get a point. I'd be fine. <laughs> Yeah, but you have to get all three of yours yeah, right. That's the hard part, <laughs> and we know how that's going to go. So I'm looking forward to being uh, punished next T-Bone, week. Should we just show? like throw all of our picks just to watch him like have the opportunity to beat us and only get one right? <laughs> we don't submit a pick. You guys would be better by throwing your picks than I am at actually making yeah. real ones. We'll do the equivalent of sitting our kickers when we're up by two points in fantasy football. Let's just sit them. Be like, all right, go ahead. We'll just wait. You guys are just going to take like all the big favorites. It's like, hey, take the Chiefs on Sunday night football against the Bears. I I'm pretty I'm sure they're going to win. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely my three-point play. <laughs> oh, I hate it so much. So uh, <laughs> we'll get to BK. that on Friday. I'm sure the boys will have some great conversations tomorrow. I know you guys have uh, Joey Vitale joining yeah. you Joey here v. at 1130. Curious to hear what he has to say about the fourth line configuration as well. Probably Sarcasm. some big guess. BK's out. We're always got some. Oh, yeah. Day. Army or Mo will probably be joining yeah. us tomorrow. I'm I'm a hundred, guaranteed Ollie's going to join you guys tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I, no, he's got a game. He's my homie. You felt good about that statement that just came out of your mouth? Yeah. You Fast know. lane is next. <laughs> Donkey! You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.